We want you to become an honorary gosling. Join us. You'll get exclusive access to conversations and content that would otherwise get us banned from social media. Plus, you'll get free digital downloads of some of our books and selective writings. And check this out. You'll get to participate in our live monthly Discord chat and more if you join our exclusive Patreon following that we like to call The After Party. It only costs $5 a month, which is basically a cup of coffee, and it helps us make the show better. We love you guys and can't wait to see you there. Become an honorary Goslings at patreon.com forward slash the Goslings and sign up today. Today is September 12th, 2021, uh, and Jonathan and I interview Gary Wayne, the author of the Genesis 6 Conspiracy. We talk about all sorts of wonderful things in this episode. We talk about the two Enochs, the seven sacred sciences, the days of Noah, Sodom and Gomorrah, masonry, how demons are Nephilim spirits, did Satan have sex with Eve, aliens in the end time, little people and gnomes, Bigfoot, the Skull and Bone Society, how Babel was a portal for interdimensional entities, and how all of this might tie into 9-11 and the Antichrist. Couldn't talk to Gary Wayne without going that deep. So kick back and relax. It's a long interview, and we go deep. We hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, if you like this show, also, please leave us a good review. Give us five stars. Tell your friends about the show. That's the best way you can help. Now let's get into the interview with Gary Wayne. Your local writer's group is crap. Stop burning off your free time in the presence of introverted do-nothings. The Gosling's Writer's Group Podcast, a digital game for writers. Writers who actually write stuff. Use typewriters. Who write all the people who've offended them into their stories, then murder the shit out of them. Writers who don't believe in dust jackets and name their pit bulls Hemingway. We're writers who lube their typewriters with gun oil because we're straight shooters. We don't always act pretentious, but when we do, we wear f***ing ascots. Welcome to The Goslings. Take up the broken sword of your father and strike down the darkness. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Welcome, Cheers. everyone. Down the I'm Jonathan. I am Nick. And we are the Goslings. Yep. And uh, we are extremely excited today because we have with us the the king of Christian contrarians. Yeah. The the master of arcane esoterica. Mm -hmm. The lord of Nephilim conspiracy theories <laughs> and royal bloodlines. Yep. The master himself. The great. Gary Wayne. Gary Wayne. Gary Wayne, baby. Give it up. Yep. Welcome <laughs> and thank you for being a guest. How are you? I am doing just fine and uh, so happy to be with you today and uh, really looking forward to the conversation today. I'm not sure I can live up to all the different titles that uh, you just assigned <laughs> to me. You already have, sir. You already have. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I am, uh, we have so many great questions for you yeah and we've listened to a lot of your interviews and uh the great thing about your work is that there's so much to talk about yeah there's so much to talk about yeah um real quick mm -hmm. um i'm gonna well first if if you know for people watching 
first of all, we're the Goslings, in case you didn't know that. I'm sure you do, because if you're watching this, you're one of the two or three people yeah. that watch this live. <laughs> right. uh, but uh, if you if you catch this on the back end, subscribe, of course. Please yeah. hit the subscribe button and the bell. Uh, you can do that on YouTube, Rumble, or our podcast on Spotify. Um, you can also uh, go to Facebook, the Goslings, and join the group. That's a lot of fun. We have a lot of fun there as well. Um, without further ado, do you. <laughs> we'll get back to the good stuff here. Yeah. So I wanted to say one thing. So when I started getting into all this, you know, I had purchased Gary Wayne's book. Gary, yeah. Gary, I had purchased your book. I'd read through the whole thing. Uh, I was doing all my own research, listening to all these different podcasts. And then uh, about, I don't know, maybe about nine months ago or so, Blurry Creatures. Oh, yeah. Started their podcast, and I was a huge fan instantly. Big hit. They're yeah. kind of local to where we are. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, they're like the next town up from us. It's yeah. awesome. They were only like <laughs> maybe 30 ish episodes deep into their podcast. And uh, they had all these names I recognized, like Rob Skiva. They had Elia Marzulli. Right. And I was like, Check, look, check, check, yeah, check. Like these guys aren't legit. Gary Wayne. Until they re until they interviewed Gary Wayne. Yeah. And he was like one of the first yeah. legitimate guys they actually interviewed. <laughs> they I'm like, smart, yeah. I'm in. <laughs> I'm in. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, Gary. Um, so Gary Wayne is author of the Genesis X Conspiracy for anybody who is uh, not aware, who can't see the book, or if you're listening for the on the podcast later. Um Mr. Wayne, if you don't mind, would you just give like a, a intro as to you and the Genesis 6 conspiracy and maybe a little background as to what motivated you to write this book? Well, yeah, that's a, it's a story in itself for sure. So I'll, yeah. I'll just say a little bit about myself first. So I'm cool. not a theologian. I did not go to seminary school. Uh, I'm not university educated. Uh, everything I know and write about, I'm self-taught. And so okay. I got into biblical prophecy kind of um, through a challenge because um, I was having, uh, sitting around and talking with uh, my brother and a friend and I'm like 20 or 21 years old at that time. And we get a little bit tipsy and one of them <laughs> says to me, you know, if you've got enough courage, if you've got enough guts, there's a book <laughs> you should read. I'm going, well, I'm not sure. I've read a lot of books. I'm not sure uh, which book they're referring to. I said, well, what's the name of the book? They said, The Late Great Planet Earth. I said, oh, that's an interesting mm -hmm. title. And it's by a prophecy writer named Hal Lindsey, who I think you know did extraordinary work. Yep. Um, yep. And one of the pioneers, certainly, of the modern age for prophecy. Whether or not people totally agree with him or not, the work he did was just super quality and a superhuman being from everything I know about him. So I said, why would I want to read this book? And they said, well, do you know anything about the false prophet? Never heard of him. <laughs> yeah. And they said, what about Antichrist? Well, I've heard of that. They said, well, that's, that's the partner. <laughs> and uh, like, so if, if you're really into something that is going to scare the socks off of you, you know, read this book. If not, then don't go near it. So, wow. you know, the next day I'm thinking that was a pretty bizarre conversation because they were talking a lot about it. So I went out and I bought the book. And it scared the socks off of me. And so <laughs> I got to read this book. Uh, yeah. I have to, I have to, yeah. And, and, and I had read it in about 1980 or maybe 79. And he had had it out for probably 10 years by then. So it was already a well established book. So I wanted to verify what he said because 
I'm a contrarian. <laughs> I don't accept <laughs> right. what anybody <laughs> writes or says unless I verify it myself. And I'm going, you know what? I, for everything I can tell, and I'm not an expert on the Bible, is that he isn't taking things out of context, from what I can tell, and it seems oh, yeah. to be making some sense. Mm -hmm. And so I started to research prophecy, and I started to dialogue everything and put it down in files, all the different sort of prophecy themes, because I wanted to know whether or not this was legitimate or not. And, uh, you know, as I'm doing this, I run across this interesting verse in, you know, very, very early on in my research, Genesis 6, 1 through 4, where it talks about these giants and your head kind of spins. And, and <laughs> right. I'm going, I'm not touching that. I'm not sure what that's all about. But right. This I'm is some Narnia stuff. You know. Yeah. But giants <laughs> sort of keep coming up over and over, over as do angels and demons and, and right. things like that. So... Uh, I'm thinking that's really kind of interesting. And so after, oh, you know, about 15 years or so of just getting my understanding of prophecy together and, and the major sort of dynamics of, of, of the Bible and just binders and binders of notes and correlations of things, different yep. narratives and prophecy, prophecy themes, I thought, well, maybe I can connect Maybe I can write a short book. Maybe I could write a book that will connect prophecy um, to prehistory because it seems like so much is defined in, in, in prophecy prehistory. And for me, if you don't understand prehistory, you can't properly understand the full scope and meaning of, of prophecy because so much of it's defined in that. So I thought I'd write a short book connecting Revelation with Genesis 6. And I thought, okay, if I could actually write a book, short book, and if I could actually get somebody to publish it, and maybe somebody actually might read it, that might be a good idea. Because I got like 12 or 15 books in my head that, you know, that I would like to write. Spoken like a true and, writer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I decided, and I wrote the first 10 chapters and went really quite quickly. Yeah. And... Then I thought, you know what, I am, since I was knee-high, I was a history buff, mm -hmm. and I was a mythology buff, and I wanted, and I knew so much about that that I understood there was tremendous parallels with all of the legends and mythologies and the religions around the world viewed through a polytheist lens versus a monotheist lens, but telling... Mm -hmm what I thought was pretty much an identical story. So I thought, okay, well, I'll do yeah. maybe another section and I'll add those parallels so that people will understand that this is just not a biblical concept. Like this is a worldwide right. history and it's important to understand it. And also understand how it might connect in, into prophecy. And then when you get into the mythologies, you're getting into the legends which bring in the religions. And so everything yeah. in the mythologies around the world, doesn't matter whether it's Greek or it's Sumerian or it's Egyptian or it's the mm -hmm. Kishimaya or whomever, is based in the religion. So then I thought, well, yeah. I don't know enough about those religions. So I have to read about all of mm -hmm. these other religions. And then Ooh. you get into you start down that, the dark you get into, path. You know? oh, you're, down the rabbit hole and yeah. then that leads you into the mystery schools and the mystery schools sent me down rabbit holes for about 10 years in terms of secret societies and everything else that it leads into yep and so that's a little bit who i am is, is somebody who just wanted to tell a small story and somewhere along the road to the coliseum it turned into this massive book 
And I edited over 300 pages out of it just to get it down to a size oh, to wow. publish it. I mean, you could, but you could write forever on these connections and things. And yeah. uh, so I wanted to make it as concise. And it's it's a very very long book, but I, I knew that after I got about halfway in, like this this is going to be difficult for people to read because you can't read it quickly because it has so much information. And I actually sort of put out a warning just as a joke that if you <laughs> try, if you try and speed read it, you're going to blow brain cells because you just can't take in that <laughs> amount of information. Right. I tried to do that. Yeah. That is exactly how I felt. You throw a piston rod in your I brain. Said, I'm just going to skim over this chapter. I'm just going to skim through this chapter. No, you're not. Uh, it, no. It short circuit. Uh -huh. yeah. I was like, every, I don't have a clue every, what's going on here. <laughs> every chapter is loaded with information. So I wrote it in a way yeah. that every story every chapter is a mini story and there isn't a chapter longer than about six or seven pages so average Smart. short chapters yeah. and that that chapter leads into the next chapter and that information will come up continually as yes. the book unfolds and that way you can drop it and leave it or you can come back to it or you yeah. can read it in any order that you want and mm -hmm. so yeah. that's what a lot of people yep. do so what I was trying to do was something a little bit different in this book, and it was, it kind of got me into with the publishers a bit of a uh, conflict of markets. So my, and so I was really trying to walk a fine line here. What I wanted to do is I wanted to, to give information to Christians, but I also wanted it to draw in people who weren't Christians, so that yeah. they could see both sides of it as well. And yeah. usually you're into that sort of you know um, audience conflict that you know, mm -hmm. that publishers will say, no, you need to target one audience. And so yeah. I thought, no, that's not what I wanted to do. So I let the secret societies, I let the other religions, I let mm -hmm. the versions and things that I'm quoting speak for themselves. And then I say, yeah. this is what the Bible says. And I show how it measures up yeah. against the Bible and where it strays from the Bible. But I didn't want to manipulate what the other side said so that people had a full understanding of as to who the adversaries are in terms of the spiritual and uh, spiritual war and the things that are taking place through that spiritual war. So mm -hmm. I also didn't quote really directly from a lot of books like First Enoch because I wanted the interpretation, the understanding as it came from the secret societies and the polytheist religions, what they thought about it. Whereas in, an, in the next book, I'll quote directly from it because I'm, I'm going to target a different sort of audience in terms of just more specifically for Christians uh, yeah. because there's just so much more information in the Bible than what people think. But I'm still going to show a little bit from the other side to sort of show how that matches up with what they think because mm -hmm. I think you have to have the full armor of God on and that means understanding the enemy. Yes. So if you're going to strike really down does. the darkness... You better yeah. know a little bit about Sun Tzu as what the polytheists. <laughs> yeah, you better know to... a little bit about the darkness. Yeah, know? yeah, you know, and, and also they're say very too, well prepared. Uh, they are. You know, I uh, I have a degree in theology, and uh, and I when I was reading your book, um, there's so I, it dawned on me how easy it is to skim over parts of Genesis genealogies in particular that yes. you don't think really have much relevance to the overall message yeah uh, but everything in there is there for a reason and that's what yeah. chuck missler taught me if it's yeah, in yes. there it's in there for a reason but it's it wasn't important. until i read your book the genesis 6 conspiracy that i realized there were what two that reason was enochs oh yeah there are two enochs yeah 
And there was the godly Enoch, Methuselah's father, yeah. who we know. And then there was another Enoch, which was the son of son of Cain. Was it well, descendant of Cain? First, first, uh, first son of Cain. First son of Cain. And if I'm not mistaken, it was to, was it to that Enoch? I'm going to call him the evil Enoch. <laughs> Is that to whom was disseminated the seven secret sciences? Is that when that began? Yeah, what we have to understand is that two Enochs were were in that period of time. Uh, obviously, Enoch, son of Seth, is sixth generation, so he's more closer to when the giants are going to be created, and Enoch is the son of Cain on the Cainite side. And knowledge is given to both. Both write scriptures. One's yeah. polytheist, one's monotheist. So that's why that's why it's important to understand that there are two Enochs and that the spurious forces or the polytheist forces, when I talk about spurious and polytheist, again, spurious has a, is a perfect word for the offspring of the fallen angels because it's mm -hmm. part of what the spurious meaning is, and that they will draft and corrupt as much as they can to slant yeah. it towards their belief system. So you have to be aware of that. So, yeah. you know, in a book like First Enoch, even though I, I, I like it a lot, we don't have an original Hebrew manuscript to verify its veracity. We get a reference into uh -huh. the book of Jude. Yeah. Um, I, I like to use the uh, Ethiopian version, the Giyaz version that's translated because it's more complete. That's what I, I have. Yeah. It, yeah, and that it has some corruptions in it. Ah. And some of them, I think, are targeted corruptions so that they can conflate the two. And I'll, and I'll answer that in a second for the audience as to why they're going to conflate it. Um, and you know some of the corruptions are there for simple things like Enoch is said to be twice 500 years old in the Bible. I mean, in, yeah. in the book of Enoch. Well, we know in the Bible... Enoch, son of Seth, was taken to heaven at 365 years. Right. right? Mm -hmm. So we know yeah. Enoch went to heaven. We know he saw things. We know he provided scripture. But now they've got an age in there that is for Enoch, son of Cain. Ah, right? So they're trying to okay. inflate the two. And that's uh -huh. because secret societies and Gnostics in, in the West... They've been hiding from the Roman church ever since the Roman church came into power. And mm -hmm. so they've been hiding behind and conflating those so that they're not hunted down and persecuted as, as, as right. readily. So when they're talking about Enoch, everybody thinks they're talking about Enoch, son of Jared. But or, it's actually Enoch, son of Cain. And so you have to understand that they are out there and they are not only doing that for protection but they are doing that to deceive people so then then yeah. they can lead people into other enochian literature right interesting that would by the writing seem to come from enoch son of king so if you yeah. get into the book of jubilees for example i know people like the book of jubilees but understand the essenes and you'll learn all about the Essenes in my book. And if you, if, if you just want a document on the Essenes, get a hold of me and I'll send it to you. I have a lot of documents. I supply it, no charge to people. I would definitely um, like that. Yeah. I have a quick question about that. <laughs> but but were the, just, were the, oh, I'm sorry. Were the Essenes the ones who were credited with hiding the Dead Sea Scrolls in the caves of Qumran? Yes. Yes. They're okay. the part of that community. So you have to be careful of everything that's coming out of that because they were polytheists within 
the monotheist nature of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, right? They're the third sect. And they're the first bastion of monasticism in the West, that all of the monastic orders that mold their way into the Catholic Church take their ascetic um, constitution from, so to speak, and, and their organizational structure. And so the Book of Jubilees was the most cherished book of the Essenes. And it's a book that is all about the solar calendar. And the Bible and God is about the lunar calendar. And so oh, yeah. anything uh, that starts to get into that aspect, you need to get as, you know, whether or not you're Christian or not, you need to understand who the writer is and the message that they're trying to send, right? And so you, so you yeah. can critically analyze it. And for Christians, I think it's really, really important that if it doesn't measure up to what it says in the Bible, then you yeah. need to understand that that is there to um, either deceive uh, or to confuse people, but also yeah. understand that it's still part of the historical record from the polytheist side. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's so interesting because growing up evangelical, learning about church history and the history of the Bible, and then, of course, with the, you know, the revelation of the Dead Sea Scrolls back in the late 40s, I think it was 48, 47, 48. Yep. yep. Uh, the Essenes the same were, where Israel was. Yeah, the same, yeah, yeah. Well, a, yeah. a lot of things happened there. Star, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, we had uh, you know, um, we had the UFO crashing in Roswell. Yeah, there are a lot of things. Hillary that, Clinton was born. Yeah, you know, a lot of crazy Just things. Saying, but uh, aliens or demons. <laughs> but uh, but what what I found interesting about that is that I was I was always under this unspoken assumption that the Essenes were. Great, good guys. They preserve yeah. the scripture right. and the caves. That's they what were, we're taught. Yeah, yeah. they were this, yeah. uh, you know, uh, esoteric monastic, if you will. Yeah. Uh, you know, order of uh, Jews that yeah. were trying to just preserve things. I never, I, I never. Yeah, had any and, and you're not trying to get that because because the modern sort of deceptions that are going on out there, and it seems hate me in North America. <laughs> they, yeah. they, I wonder why. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. They just <laughs> so they would protect the uh, names of their angels even under death, and these are fallen angels that they worshipped. Whoa! Oh wow! Yeah, Whoa. they take yeah. their religion back to Egypt and Heliopolis, um, uh, the same place where Moses was educated, and their belief yeah. system is is that the religion that came out of Egypt that Moses brought with them was the Egyptian religion. Oh, wow. And that the true religion of Moses went rogue and was corrupted by members of the royal families as the dynasties and the monarchies got set up. And they, mm -hmm. they changed the Bible to glorify the monarchy as opposed to their gods. And so yeah. monotheism went rogue. And it's a clever thing that the polytheists have done there because what they do is, is they can catch Judaism, Christianity, and Islam with that intersection of Moses and just say, hey, you need to reinterpret everything you thought the Bible said. Wow, what a subversion. So do they, yeah. do they claim that the, the teachings that they have, the polytheistic teachings that they have, do they teach that that's somehow encoded in the Mosaic law? Or do they just have a completely other narrative that goes alongside? 
they they accept parts of the the Old Testament and discard other parts, and they th totally throw out the first four Gospels. Well, no, not they'll accept the first three Gospels. John for sure gets thrown out, and anything that Paul talked about is out, mm -hmm. and just as the Book of Revelation is out for them, and then they'll manipulate parts of Matthew, Mark, and John to fit their theology, and so they look at. When you look at Dead Sea Scroll writing, you hear about the heretic that they're talking about and the teacher of righteousness. Those are the two key figures coming out of Dead Sea Scrolls uh, and the Essenes. And so the teacher of righteousness will be people like James the Just, who they draft in as, a, as an Essene. Jesus, as they draft in as an Essene. Mm, and, they and they disqualify Paul as a heretic. And he's the evil liar and the heretic that they're talking right. about. Because they say it's Paul who raised Jesus to deity status, as opposed wow. to just being enlightened and a prophet. You know that's exactly there. Are, I, I experienced this when uh, when I was going through ordination class and was an understudy of sorts for um, for the pastor at um, Grace Point, uh, which was here in Tennessee, kind of uh, a notorious. Um, paragon of progressive christianity mm. that same mentality of like rejecting pauline doctrine mm -hmm. and uh and sort of cherry picking drafting jesus into your pathologically compassionate mm -hmm. ideology was like that was something that really is no like yeah and no insidious wonder in the progressive christian movement when they take out today. john i mean no wonder they took out john i mean it's right you yeah. know the, the author they have and to. themselves they have to keep right. saying hey jesus is god yeah you know yeah uh and of course the 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 uh johannine epistles yeah. and revelation they all say that yeah, they all yeah. say Jesus is the Son of Man. He's the Son of God. He is yeah. God. Yeah, you know, yeah. no wonder they have to take that. And it's funny because our dad used to be long time ago as a pastor. Yeah, and he would always tell us if someone's going to approach the Bible and they're like, "What should I read first? He always said John or Revelation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. My uncle uh, yeah. on his literally on his deathbed uh, three months ago, I asked him what book that he would like me to read to him. Oh uh, yeah, and I'm not, you know, I'm I'm not. Uh, super christian by any stretch of the imagination or anything that's not my reputation in the family but yeah, yeah. but i asked him and he said john yeah the book of john yeah. that's awesome yeah, yeah i would out of the new testament i would definitely say john and revelation but also add matthew because really? matthew that's gives you the chronology of end time prophecy oh, uh, that yeah. jesus 24. orated and then yeah. luke and mark they give exactly this the same thing but they'll have just a couple more details and not some of the other details so i like to use matthew as as the template for that and then put all prophecy around what jesus said and not vice versa yeah mm -hmm. well that's the that is one of the beautiful things about the genesis 6 conspiracy um and your work in regards to genealogies because like nick had mentioned earlier you know growing up in church and sunday school everybody skips over the genealogies it's just they don't know what to do with it and yeah. they don't know how to apply it. They don't know how to make anything relevant out of it. And that your book really kind of illuminates the um, the critical nature of genealogies uh, across history. I mean, every yeah. chapter you go to has mentions of royal bloodlines, families, mm -hmm. you know, um, whether they're in priesthood or government or whether they're connected to the Templars or the Freemasons, you know, 
like this is a book that teaches you how like you can apply the genealogies to modern day world events yeah. and like what is going on and what the landscape of the world looks like today and maybe what it looks like tomorrow yeah you know well and again it's not important what we believe in terms about the genealogies that yeah. um all of the royal families and the noble elite of the world why they track that what's important to understand is what they believe and yeah. what they do with that belief yeah that's the key and so yeah. they'll track their genealogies all the way back into the mists of time because yeah. the pure and the more ennobled or um, let's say grafting in as in scion and that's a classic uh, occult double entendre scion as being the first son grafted into another royal bloodline uh -huh. um, that's how you ennoble so but yeah. between the purity of that bloodline back to a specific patriarch like an Albion as a giant or um, let's say King Og as a giant uh, mm -hmm. and to the specific fallen angel that produced that line right. and then mm -hmm. the other ones that are top down onto that is where you fit in that hidden culture yeah. where you and, and within that hierarchy is all based on that intermarriage and that's why you have Let's say people like Bill Gates, who mm -hmm. uh, I don't know what his bloodlines are. He must have some distant bloodlines, but he's not part of that royal elite. He's wealthy, but he's not part of the royal elite. But he is a member of the Bilderbergers yeah. by invitation, and he's working mm -hmm. for the globalist movement mm -hmm. so that he can have his offspring intermarry into those bloodlines and have a larger role in generations to come. And yeah. so it's important to understand that these bloodlines are always at work and that, you know, let's say for an example, Prince Charles, who uh, may or may not become the King of England, um, <laughs> but, he's next, but he's next in line. Right. He, he takes his bloodlines not only back to the, uh, the Stuarts on one side, but also there's a couple of branches of Hanovers that go back to Germany, and then those bloodlines are intersecting with, as he has said publicly, Vlad the Impaler, who I talk oh, really? about in my book, and he, the, the character for uh, Dracula, which is mm -hmm. an allegory for the bloodlines, right? And the good versus evil of Christianity against the other side. Mm -hmm. And Vlad the Impaler takes his bloodlines back to the Scythians as part yeah. of the Tuatha de Danann, who, of course, uh, went to Ireland and to Sweden and to Russia and to Germany. There's two different lines of them, blonde hair, blue eyes, pale skin, red hair, hazel eyes. And Vlad the Impaler yep. was this ultimate Tuatha Dé Danann, the noble Celt. He had pale skin. He had an adversity to light. He was a member of the bloodlines. He was a member of Ordo Draconis, <laughs> the yeah. Sarkani Ron. He was the educated at the Mystery School of Solomon. He had uh, oh, hazel wow. eyes. He had red hair. And of course, within those organizations that he belonged to, they drank blood. I mean, and he was an evil character in terms of all of the horrible things that, you know, he did to his enemies. And so right. uh, this is uh, 
the bloodline and, and of, of Prince Charles that he proudly publicly right. um, talks about. You just you just Google it. You can pick it up. It's amazing. Uh, yeah. off, off I didn't know and, that Dracula yeah. was a ginger. I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. but that's really interesting. So I was reading about the two authors. Dinan, I'm not. I, I know I'm butchering that, and those bloodlines. And it's it's. Can cool you pronounce it again, Gary? Chorus. Tuatha de Dinan. Some people just say Tuatha Dinan. Um, okay. They're also known as the as the Tuatha Danu, which is the tribe of Anu, um, which is another. And again, I'll talk all about that as you get through the book. Okay, uh, you're filling in a lot of the gaps, like with the bloodlines between prehistory and where we are now yeah and i want to i want to go back to you're we're talking right now we're kind of in the in the meat and the filling of the sandwich i want to go mm. to the, the two loaves <laughs> you want to get uh, to the, the crust two, yeah to the two crusts top <laughs> and bottom and what i mean by that There's i want to go back on the to crust, so, you, know. <laughs> you you were talking about um you were talking about uh jesus's discourse uh about the end times in matthew 24 i think somewhere in there and he says as we all know as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And he goes, people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. And then, of course, judgment came on them. That, I, that last bit I wasn't verbatim. But that's the idea. My question for you, just for a lot of people who are kind of approaching this whole topic new, how are the days of Noah distinct that when Jesus was talking about that, they, they would the first century Jew would have understood, oh, yeah. those distinctions are what we yeah. need to be looking for. And and what are we looking for now that would hearken to that? Just it it goes to the heart of the Bible and why you need to understand all of it. And it goes to the heart of how consistent the Bible is in terms of the language and what it says and when it says it. So you're getting um, that sign as the days of Noah. And I have a chapter of this in, in, in the book. Um, follows another overarching sign for the fig tree generation that this generation will not pass until all these things have taken place. So two overarching signs after all the individual signs for the chronology of the last seven years. So... Jesus says it'll be like the days of Noah. And this is a Greek manuscript that's being translated into English in the New Testament versus the Hebrew coming into English in the Old Testament. But those words are identical to what is said about Noah in Genesis 9.29. It was, you know, and, and the days of Noah were 600 years before the flood and 350 years after the flood. So it's going to be like the days of Noah. It's more than just the people weren't prepared for the flood. Right. It's more than they just, um, uh, it's more than they were just carrying on without any concern. That's part of it. And, and the book says, mm -hmm. and, and, the, and the flood story says also that the whole world was corrupt. Yeah. Right. And that's the Hebrew word shakath, which means decayed, destroyed, degraded. Oh, interesting. So when we're talking about the whole world is corrupt, it's more than just violence, right? right? That means the whole plant genome is corrupted. The whole mm. animal genome and all but the ape is likely corrupted. Mm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And yeah. so that, that's why God calls 
the animals to the ark because he knows the ones that are pure. Yeah. To restart, right? Been. Everything starts to make sense. So, okay, if we understand yeah. that, and we understand that Jesus is saying it's going to be like the days of Noah, and we get those exact same words in, in Genesis 9, and that he lived 600 years before the flood, we better learn about everything before the flood, and then what's relevant after the flood, because that's mm. part of the reference that Jesus is making. Yeah. And oh, when we get yeah. into that, we that. learn that in Genesis 6, where the flood story begins, the first four verses are the creation of the giants. Yeah. Mm. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yep. And yep. the whole world becomes corrupted because of what's going on with these giants. Yeah. And so we need to learn about that. We need to learn about who the sons of God are, why were they created, and how did mm -hmm. they destroy the antediluvian world, and why was it led into the first apocalypse? Because this apocalypse that's coming is by fire, right? Yeah. And we need to learn about it, and that's why in the book of Luke, which is what I talked about earlier, I like to overlay Mark and Luke with the extra details. Luke will talk about not only the days of Noah, but immediately transition into also the days of Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah, oh. which was destroyed by the flood. So if you just read the one without reading both, yeah. you don't get the whole story. And that's important because that's 600 years before the flood and 350 years after the flood. And what was really going on at Sodom and Gomorrah that we need to learn about that, and that is the transition into this age that will be destroyed or almost destroyed by fire. So we need to learn all about those things. Yeah. And again, it's just one of the things that I like to also tell, uh, ask people to do about prophecy is, is don't leave out the inconvenient passages. You have to include, <laughs> you, you have right. to include them all. Point. Yeah. <laughs> and they yeah. have to fit Point. like a glove. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you can't. Uh, yeah, yeah. Gloves no good with a couple fingers missing. You know, that's just a fashion statement at that. Is it a six-fingered glove? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he had six fingers on his right hand. Yeah, not not um, not on my end, but <laughs> yeah, let me and, check for and, double and also, rows of teeth. Yeah, I I, I I think I've already given people a good smile, so they know I don't have a double set of row of teeth. But I am pale. <laughs> I do have hazel eyes, and I did have red hair, and I come from very Scottish descent. So <laughs> there you go. So do we. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well. And that's the that is the interesting thing about uh, Sodom and Gomorrah is that um, you know everybody always equates it to just hedonistic debauchery, you know uh, these illicit, often sexual activities. But there are other people who kind of tie it back to the antediluvian world that like maybe there was something yeah. more esoteric going on in Sodom and Gomorrah, right. yeah. you know. Now whether it was just a, an offshoot of the same kind of uh, idolatry. Well, you know. well, let me let me give you a, a few details on that then, if you don't yeah, mind. Because, I would yeah, love please. to, yeah. Uh, again, that's why the details in the Bible are so important. Um, yeah. And Sodom and Gomorrah is talked throughout the Bible, so it's an important event. And then, yeah. you know, Jesus mentioned it, which means you really need to pay attention to it. So, <laughs> right. was, 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 I mean, and sodomy comes from the word Sodom. So we know mm -hmm. that that type of sexual behavior was probably ongoing, but the polytheists look at Sodom and Gomorrah as cities of light, cities of knowledge, cities Real. that 
of just course. a few chapters before the city on the hill the shining city on the hill is the allegory yes. and camelot and all of the of thousand points of light allegories that the globalists yeah. like to use that people uh -huh. need to be aware of so they George understand Bush. yeah four times two with the son two with uh, the father so one yeah, at the last right. at the funeral uh, george jr used a thousand points of light so when we look at sodom and gomorrah a few chapters earlier it's led by five kings and these kings are in the war of yes. giants and these okay. kings are Canaanite kings, um, but they're led by post-Diluvian giants, which I don't talk a whole bit about in the first book because I didn't want to get people too confused. But these aren't <laughs> Nephilim; these are Rephaim. These are the post-Diluvian giants. That's what we call the sequel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, and I'm going to have a great chapter. I do War of Giants, but I do it in a whole expanded way in in, in the in the new book. So, the War of Giants. They have. You've got. Four kings coming from Mesopotamia who are all giants. One is even lion-like, like the lion men of Moab as another kind of Nephilim mm. or Raphaim. Like a chimera? And, or, um... Yeah, well, no, an offspring of fallen angels to create another kind of Nephilim. Again, I'll put that in the second book. Okay. So, okay. So you've got different kinds of Nephilim other than the serpentine ones that I talk about in, 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 in oh, the right. first book. Oh, right. I got book. you. Yes. Right. So uh, they're going to fight all of these other giant nations. They're going to fight the Raphaim in, in Syria. Mm -hmm. They're going to fight the Horim. They're going to fight the Amalekim. These aren't Amalekites. These are Amalekim because it mm -hmm. happens before the Amalekites are born in Genesis 36 through a Horim female. Raphaim. Um, there's several tribes of Raphaim, and Timna is a Horim princess, son of Seir, which goes back to the Hebrew word satir, which is a satyr, which is a goat oh, god. Yeah. Interesting. But he's but wow. he's but he's a Raphaim and uh, Eliphaz, who's the son of Esau. Um, again, I'll get into that aspect in into this first book that for people to read. But you have other kings, uh, you know, whether or not it is the zoo in in Ham, uh, you've got uh, all of these nations that are, that are being attacked by these Mesopotamians, and the and the kings that are ruling over the five city pentapolis of Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the plain mm -hmm. are Rephaim kings, even though they're op they are uh, ruling over Canaanites and Canaanite what I would call hybrids, and so you've got. Raphaim around with Sodom and Gomorrah. So if you go to Genesis 10, because I, I, I might have lost some people here, and you get the table of nations in Genesis 10, it also will come up in First Chronicles, but you have Canaan, who is a Hamite, um, who produces Heth and the Hittites and Sidon for the Sidonites. And then you get this whole list of families, no patriarchs. Mm, They're the really? patriarchless families of Canaan. And so if you are a Raphaim, you are not a patriarch in the table of nations. So a classic example would be Arba, who's the father of Anak. He's not in the table of nations. Rapha yeah. is thought to be the patriarch for the Raphaim after the flood. And you have these names that sort of come out of nowhere. These are hybrid nations. So when in Numbers 1333, when they're talking about 
before the, the embellished report that has Nephilim in there, or the giants, and it's used twice in 1333, it talks about uh, the Anakim are giants, and giants goes back to Nephilim, except that Deuteronomy 2 says the Anakim are Raphaim. Giants goes back to Rapha and Raphaim. And they're embellishing it because in that report, so that the Israelites won't go in because they don't want to fight these monsters. But in the hmm. actual details of the report, that Caleb and uh, Joshua are all reporting on, you have not only people that are taller than Israel that live in the mighty walls, but you have the Anakim kings, Sheshai, Talmai, and Ahiman. And then in Deuteronomy 1, Moses is talking about this before they start out to take the conquest of the land 40 years later, and he's recapping the accurate details of that where you have people that are taller. Those are a hybrid people that are throughout and they're created through intermarrying with the daughters of Canaan, Sidon and Heth. And that's why the patriarchs aren't, aren't listed. And then Canaan, Heth and Sidon will also have their descendants intermarry with Rephaim as well, but you have them as the patriarchs because they were the first generation. Do you think Oh, oh and, and, I, and I went on a rabbit trail there, but getting back to what we were talking about. So when you have the event of Sodom and Gomorrah and the two angels who are depicted as human beings and they eat and drink and they have a physical yes. form. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so angels can take physical forms and we can talk about that in detail if you want. But um, <laughs> for now, uh, and it's a great talk. It's a great discussion. Um, they are yeah. recognized as being angels, even though they look like men. And beforehand, they weren't recognized as angels until they identified themselves. And so they want to have sex with these angels. Well, angels can take a form any way they want in the in the physical world. They can be take a, a male form or a human form. So it's not clear. Uh -oh. In that the book of Peter and the book of Jude is referenced here is talking about are they actually wanting to have homosexual sex with them? Or do they want to reproduce again with fallen angels that they know that they can take another That's what form? I was That's or what I was they can provide That's... daughters for them to produce more Raphaim after the flood. Right. So they can rebuild their Nephilim army mm -hmm. off of yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that always made sense to me. Yeah, well, that always and, made sense and that's me. the thing that no one ever, no one ever talks about this stuff, Gary. Ever, like in in the Protestant Christian church. You won't hear it in the pulpit. No, in the exactly. You won't hear it in the pulpit. Um, when I started, uh, I wrote a seven novel series called Heavenly Realms about the wars between the angels. It was largely just fictionalized, kind of medieval warfare, kind of whatever. But a lot of it was helped along by. Uh, Clarence Larkin's The Spirit World, uh, which was a book written, you're probably familiar with it, written in 1920, given to me by my father. And that's where I first read about the Nephilim. And uh, I brought it up. I went to a, a private Christian school. No one in the Christian school had any idea what I was talking mm -hmm. about. Everybody shot me down. You know, the, the, the I got the righteous sons of Seth line yeah. every, every yeah. single time. So, you know, when you so many people it's so strange how because and, and we have very smart people in our family who who take the same approach of like when you try to approach people with this stuff 
most of the time, you know, they'll believe in God. They'll believe in Jesus, uh, the um, the Godhood, the Trinity. They'll believe in Satan. They'll believe in angels. The resurrection. The resurrection. Yeah. They'll believe in demons. Miracles. Miracles. Donkey, donkey, and angels donkeys. and demons are not the same thing, yeah. you know. Yeah. They're yeah. fallen and faithful. And But, like, when you get to this, when you start getting into, like, giants and it one of the great things about what gary wayne does with the genesis 6 conspiracy is if you haven't noticed yet his exhaustive research uh really ties together things that seem fanciful and are stumble he removes stumbling blocks i think yeah. from a lot of christians lives because no one and I think there's a good reason why no one talks about this kind of stuff with the Nephilim and the giants and the antediluvian age and how they have continued on with Sodom and Gomorrah and these other places. Yep. I, I mean, this stuff is relevant and I think it's every bit as legitimate. And it's just so funny how people will will accept something like angels. But when it comes to human angel hybrid kingdoms and bloodlines and how they control people, that almost becomes too, too... Yep. Of comic booky yeah. for them, you yeah. know, it, it becomes too Lord of the Rings. The irony being that I, after reading about the Fairy Kingdom chapters, mm, the Ringwoods, I start to think that like Lord of the Rings must have been an analog for between the elves and the orcs, and you know, there there seems to be a so, anyway. It's yeah, a, yeah well, it's an anti, it's an antediluvian story before the flood, and at yeah. the end of the trilogy, you have all of these different kinds of beings that are yeah. represented in allegorical of the beings as they're understood in the occult world um, they leave on a boat on the water because now it's mm -hmm. the time of man right yeah so now it's the age of man that's the flood representation oh it is very interesting i never thought about <laughs> I that i never connected that man up. that's killer that's yeah. awesome you got I, a whole other book there gary i have a question too <laughs> i have a question too about um the antediluvian nephilim in particular I remember hearing in a recent interview that uh, you, you were talking about how these giants, these Nephilim, knew that there was a judgment coming. They were the ones who uh, passed on the, uh, the seven sacred sciences. They were passing this knowledge on to men. And they knew that judgment was coming, but they didn't know if it was going to come by water or by fire. And... So they wanted to preserve this knowledge in either case. So my question is, how did they do that? Where, where is it alleged that they hid this knowledge and preserved it? Yeah. It's, a, it's a very, very good question. And so just to lay a little bit of groundwork for people who uh, aren't familiar with some of this material, so you have an organizational structure that begins in the sixth generation with the creation of the giants. You have the marriage of the seven sacred sciences developed by Enoch, son of Cain, that develops the mystical religions to hold these sciences. And you have the uh, start of the mystery schools to educate the elite and to continue in the seven sciences that will then merge with the illicit knowledge from the angels. And this is in place for when the giants come along to usurp the uh, the organizational structure of the world and usurp the kingships because of their virtual size. And just to throw it out that the 
antediluvian giants were much larger than the post-diluvian giants. So when we run across Goliath, um, well over a thousand years after the flood using biblical chronology and longer using secular chronology, we get a dimension of six cubits and a span. And a cubit is generally thought to be 18 inches, but a royal cubit is 21 inches. And I make the ar argument that Goliath is actually the king of Gath at that time and not just the warrior. And that when David selected five smooth stones, he selected the stones to kill the five Rephaim kings of the Philistine Pentapolis if he had to, not that he was going to miss. Right? So he downed Goliath. Yeah. And Goliath would be by those dimensions nine feet nine inches tall to 11 feet three inches tall and that's okay. well diluted and beyond and Og's bed was nine cubits so he would have been somewhere between 12 and 15 feet tall depending on the measurement that that you're using because he had an iron bed because he was so heavy and i give a vivid description of what the nephilim looked like uh, in chapter four for people um and the size of them but the antediluvian giants were much bigger probably 20 to 40 feet tall. Uh, yeah. In a secular record, we actually get uh, Gilgamesh, who's talked about in the Ugaritic text, yep. and in um, the Sumerian text being 11 cubits tall, and he's after the flood. Um, and so he would have been 16 to 19 feet tall. So these things were, weren't just taller. Yeah. The taller ones were the hybrids. <laughs> These were giants yeah. compared to, to the humans. And so when we look at what the giants were able to do very quickly is take over the whole world, right? Yeah. Because mm -hmm. who could stand against them? Right. And so now they know the flood is coming. They know that through Enoch, son of Cain. Mm -hmm. And in some of the Enochian literature, it talks about going to Enoch while still on earth, while Enoch, son of Jared, and they're being told of the flood and there's nothing that they can do about it. Or they're told of the disaster that's yeah. coming. And so they decide with the priesthood of the mysticists at that time, they were going to preserve this knowledge. So now in secret societies. So Freemasonry is a Johnny Come Lee organization being formed um, in the 1320s after the fall of the, with the mm -hmm. escaping adepts of the Knights Templar, some of them. Yeah. And they're called Freemasonry, but the ancient organization are the Royal Masons or Masonry. And that's the Royal Bloodlines, and those are the higher orders of the secret societies. And Masonry, through the Polychronicon, takes their history, and they also use some biblical history, and they like to mesh it in with the Polychronicon. They take their history back to before the flood, to the yes. Canaanite patriarchs, right? Yeah. And Tubal Cain is one of their most famous patriarchs of metallurgy yeah. and weaponry and things like that. And Which just as Nama is, just as Jubal and Jubal are. And it's amazing yeah. that those patriarchs, including Enoch, are all mentioned in the Canaanite line, and only Four of the offspring of Lamech, two Lamechs, one on the Seth side, one on the Canaanite side, but uh, the, the four of the son of the Lamech on the Canaanite side are major patriarchs in the creation of masonry and secret societies.
And so they're going to want to save knowledge. So in the generation of Lamech with the sons, they're going to save the knowledge that Enoch wrote on 36,525 books. I don't know how big they are, whether on stone tablets or whatever, but he hides them in nine vaults. Okay. And really? according to Masonic history, they're hidden underneath the pyramids. Called it. And this yep. is all recorded yep. in the history of Freemasonry. <laughs> yep. And they also create two pillars. One In one legend, it's called the Pillars of Enoch, and another Masonic legend is called the Pillars of Lamech. And they're designed to survive fire or flood. And then a fellow called Hermes finds these two pillars after the flood gets the the knowledge is of not only all the antediluvian knowledge but also the antediluvian religion that I like to call Enochian mysticism Enochian yes. son of Cain mysticism um, mm -hmm. and he takes this knowledge back to another infamous character in Masonic history called Nimrod who is touted as the first ah, post-diluvian grand master yeah. After the flood, he writes the first constitution, takes the religion, institutes it at Babel, takes the knowledge, wow. and Bill starts to build Babel City and Babel Tower. And in the Bible, mm -hmm. we get a sense of this knowledge because it says that acting as one people together with one king, essentially, you there's nothing that they will try to do will be, be prevented from doing. That's a sign of the knowledge, just as where did this knowledge yeah. come from to build Babel Tower and Babel City? If all this knowledge right. was lost, then Noah wasn't going to continue in those evil ways because he was pure and selected for, for the cause. Yeah. And so that's how they transfer the knowledge. And this bank of knowledge has many, many names. This image and the pearls of wisdom. It's called the golden apple. Yes. The archives of the mason called the golden mm -hmm. fleece. All of those yep. metaphors. The there's dawn. many, many more. Y yeah, you have uh, the uh, shatia. You have the emerald tablet. You have the tablet mm -hmm. of the thoth. They're essentially the same thing, but they're all talking about this bank of knowledge. The book of Razi. Um, yeah. That okay. is antediluvian knowledge that is going to be really implemented in the end time because if you think about what they're doing at Babel, and if you think about what they built before the flood with the pyramids, and the Masons take credit for using Enochian's uh, knowledge. Uh, and I was going to ask if you, if you felt the, like the, the cities, uh, pyramids, yeah. pyramids were built before the flood, is what you're saying. Yes. Well, I even talk about the... the uh, tablet of uh, Narmer or Menes um, that they're showing, it shows in the background the 52 degree slope of the Great Pyramid and that's dated okay. to 3000 BC by secular records so it's oh. way older than what wow. they're telling us yeah, um, so awesome. then they're, and, and I present a little bit more evidence but I don't spend a lot of time on that in the book, I'm just sort of setting the you know, the, the table I'm talking about something as so how do we know this, right? Right. Yeah. Oh, sure. So, um, so it was this knowledge of Enoch that was used to build the, these uh, great monuments, so that the people would say, "How advanced was that civilization?" Which is mm -hmm. why they're trying to hide it right now, right? And we yeah. we do not have the ability to build to those exacting specifications with sacred geometry, astrological alignments. The yeah. technology to, to move the stones, to do that type of... We don't have any of that. 
We are just we catching yep. up to that level of technology today. And that knowledge was ramped up by the illicit knowledge of fallen angels that got them to a level where the Nephilim actually rebelled against God. Uh -oh. And in polytheism, it's all a in inexplicable manners that I think we are now yeah. um, experiencing that same ramp up in knowledge as, the, as they did before the flood. So that's how they managed to preserve it, according to Masonic records. And of course, you get similar records around the world centered around this sort of bank of knowledge. Yeah. Well, and that, um, that what was the name of it again? The 36,000... Uh, 36,525 as a solar year. Uh, uh, yes, that's, there's a very interesting correlation there. there. Yeah. Because the solar empire or the solar versus yep. the lunar of, uh, yeah, oh, man. yeah. I, this is, this is the cool thing about like reading this book and watching all of your interviews for anyone who's just like coming on board. Like Gary Wayne shows you things that you've always kind of thought were maybe in the back of your brain, but they were just like these little disparate pieces mm -hmm. that are like sitting around. And he's like, look, let me show you how you can just like wrangle every one of these in time all together because yeah. they're all connected. He weaves them all together. And I have a question too. Do you think that, you know, the days of the Noah, the days of Noah that, you know, we're looking for yeah. that something like the days of Noah will reoccur. Do you think that that level of technology could be one of those indicators Genetics, that we've entered into that, that second yes. day yes. We're just now entering into an age where we can manipulate DNA and plant genomes. Right. So yeah. we're going to corrupt the whole world just as it was in the days of Noah. And that's that illicit knowledge that's that, that is being wrapped up. Yeah. So the double one would also expect that we ought to see. Yeah. We ought to see giants or the descendants of giants, at least, um, yeah. in control uh, in, in the end time. And I, I, I don't rule out any of the possibilities. I certainly do know that the descendants of the giants want to bring about the end of the age and a rendezvous with destiny. But we have to be open to the fact that not all angels went to the abyss for their crimes right. against humanity and the crimes against creation. Yeah. And that many of them are still out there and that they could at any time decide to violate the laws of creation again to create new giants. And maybe they already have and we don't know about it. I mean, I'm speculating there, obviously, but they would yeah. go to the abyss until those in the abyss are let loose, which happens in yep. the last seven years. So no yeah. matter what, they're coming back again and they'll yeah. probably try and do the same thing. But you also have... What's interesting for these giants is you have all of these giants who died. You get Then there's two sets again. You have ones that are in the abyss, along the sides of the abyss, in the prisons, as Ezekiel 32 talks about, oh, and yeah. other chapters. Yeah. And then you have the ones like Legion that are still roaming, right? And mm -hmm. so if you link up, and I have a great document on this in terms of how do we know that the uh demons are the bodiless spirits of nephilim the i walked through that scripturally spirits. in the bible for people yep yeah. um what we're taught is that this is a counterfeit spirit out of the book of enoch but in in the bible they're evil spirits 
right? And they're not permitted to go to sleep and they're not permitted to go to heaven. And all humans go to sleep until the resurrection sequence kicks in. And everybody has their place depending on what they've done and what they believe. So um, you have these giants that uh, are roaming the earth. And Jesus describes them as uh, being in dry places. So like they're thirsty. They need a place of rest. The only place that they can have a place of rest and to interact in the world is to possess a human, but it's not a symbiotic relationship. They're suppressing right. the host. There's a war going on all the it's time. And that's why in the horror movies, yeah, mm-hmm. we get, yep. you know, these contortions and horrible uh-huh. things that the, the body takes shapes on and things like that, because there's a war going on. And for these bodiless spirits, They'll need what they call an oikotarian, a dwelling place for the spirit Mm -hmm. to interact into the world where they don't have this war going on. So they're going to need technology to create clones or robots or computers or whatever for them to try and interact in the world. So we could see them reappear that way. And if people want to know where I get the term oikotarian from, we have a, a body, soul, and a spirit. Okay. And the body yeah. and the soul are on the earth. And I also have a great document for people on this if they want. Um, I've got lots of documents. If you want to get a hold of me through my website, ask me whether I got a document on this subject. If I got it, I'll send it to you. I do it at no charge. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'll take that. <laughs> spirit comes from heaven. The soul and the body are of the physical world. And okay. the soul is the life of the physical world that meshes with the spirit from heaven. Mm-hmm. So in Jude 1, 6, the angels leave their habitat. Yeah. And habitat, habitation is the Greek word oikotarian, which means a dwelling place for the spirit. Oh. And so they need to interact in the physical world, yeah. a body and a soul, right? They need an oikotarian. Yeah. So they take a physical form. And we have a physical form. That's how you pass on this DNA and those supernatural traits right. to your offspring if you have sex. And mm-hmm. that we also get oikotarian in, in 2 Corinthians 5 with the house in heaven, which is that dwelling place for the spirit, which is why uh, Jesus says he has many rooms in his mansion in the house in heaven, right? It's the allegory yeah. that's perfectly consistent. And so they, they need this oikotarian um, this body and the soul to enter into, or it's going to be a symbiotic, uh, will be a symbiotic relationship, the demons I'm talking about, to interact um, at the end of the age. And I think we're going to see out of that as well, uh, because they have to be part of it. And in fact, yeah. we even get the term demons coming out of the mouth of the false prophet and of the antichrist and of satan that's going to lead the kings and deceive them and do miraculous things to um, bring them to war and so i make a a clear distinction between demon and fallen angel Uh, and a fallen angel can possess a human too but it's not called possession typically it is a symbiotic relationship because they're going to add some value and wisdom and not trying. They don't need to be there. So that's called an avatar and an avatara. So the yes, avatar right. is the angel. The avatara is the recipient. So Buddha would have been an avatar of Vishnu. 
which is where he got his wisdom from, which is the mm. incarnation aspect of occultism that they want us to think that Jesus did. A uh, whole different process where you had the Oikotarian prepared through Mary for his spirit to go in. There's no sharing of another spirit in there. It's the word made yeah. flesh. Mm -hmm. um, so that's another rabbit hole we don't have time to go into. But to continue <laughs> on with what we're saying is that you could expect Antichrist to be an avatar to get his power from the dragon in the yes. end time that Revelation mm -hmm. 13 talks about. Yeah. And we get an example of this biblically. This isn't just a polytheist really? doctrine. So the first example is uh, at the time of the crucifixion, just before, and the betrayal of Jesus, you have mm -hmm. Judas, who is going yeah. to betray Jesus, but he's struggling. Right? Oh, right, and yeah. Satan enters into him to give him that strength to carry it out to the end. It's kind of like right. the, the the harem right. thema that the angels take the oath to carry the end. Right? Yeah. Um, when they to create the nephilim and to try and have humankind destroyed from the face of the earth and and led into um, nothingness. Um, and so there may be another one in the Bible as well. In um, really? Gen yeah, in Genesis three. So some people believe that so Satan received Eve, yeah, oh, okay. uh, and had sex with with uh, and as an extension of that, had sex with Eve to produce Cain. And I cover off in the Gnostic belief in the Bible, and I'm that was a open to the idea. Life. I just can't do it. I can't prove it scripturally. And we actually have scripture that says otherwise. Yeah. But here's the thing. Satan, when he had sex, if he had sex with Eve, didn't go to the abyss. Although he will at the end right. of, the, of the last seven years. The other fallen angels who had sex, they went to the abyss. So yeah. that's a bit of an enigma. And the Nakash, or the Nahash, as it's more properly pronounced in, in Hebrew, the serpent is the one who gets punished. He loses his arms. He loses his legs. He loses oh, right. his speech. He loses his yeah. intelligence. Satan doesn't. Right. And yeah. so uh, I think it's very possible that this Nahash was a very obviously intent being before, which is yeah. kind of unaccounted for in the Bible. Um, like a dragon. And that, like a dragon. Yeah. Yeah. And a most preferred species, the fiery serpent-faced angel. Mm -hmm the dragons, the heavenly dragons, mm -hmm. and that Satan probably either coached the, the, the serpent or entered into him to deceive Eve, not necessarily to have a child, because right. um, we have Genesis 4, which gives the genealogies as to who they're born from. Mm -hmm. And if people think, well, and you can get into the argument uh, as to, well, but you could look at um, Cain is being acquired as what it means and Cain is very close to the word kana which is, means acquired um, hmm. but that's the same language that is used to produce Enoch and the other sons of, of Cain and it's the same language used exact words that are used uh, to uh, in the birth of um, <clears throat> Seth, and then you get the hmm. Sethian lineage in, in 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 the next chapter in chapter five, and so that you would have to say by extension, then all of those were giants. 
because it's the exact language in Hebrew and, and expressed yeah. the same way in, in English. So anyway, I'm not going to get into the Serpent Seed document in detail, but if somebody wants to get a hold of me and understand necessarily against it, it's just that scripture doesn't seem to test. Right. Mm -hmm. Yep. Hopefully we didn't lose him there. Hey Gary, did we lose you? Your your screen froze there. Oh no. Maybe. Five for that. Uh, oh, there we go. We there got we go. him again. Okay. Cool. Okay, you're back. Sorry. <laughs> You still there? Are you with us? It's like the connection might be a little slow there. Coming back, can you hear me? He's, he's probably oh, resetting he's something. something. Yeah, no problem. Um, yeah, that was a theory that I had had too. That I mean, it's it's you know been around forever. It's just that idea that. You know, what if Cain was like the original, the original offspring of the dragon court kind mm. of thing? Yeah. You know, no. that's, uh, that's something, yeah, and, and Gary's absolutely right. So, you know, it doesn't. Uh, so it looks, looks like oh, we're back. There? I had okay. my whole screen frozen. Okay. Uh, right, my whole sweet. screen was frozen. And so I did. <laughs> so I'm just <laughs> no worries. To make sure that we're going to be fine here. Yep. Okay. You're fine. Do you yeah, want to? So uh, we can always fill for a couple seconds if you want to check everything out. Uh, no, I think we're good now. So okay, awesome, cool. Yep. Well, um, I had uh, boy, I have other uh, other questions. Mm -hmm. I know Jonathan's too, and they're kind of I like you know, your book covers so much, and we were talking about. Uh, some different theories about, you know, who Cain was and what may have happened in the garden and maybe some even earlier accounts of this uh, mixing of angels yeah. and, uh, and, and human. Um, I kind of want to jump to the other side, the other end of time, <laughs> you know, that which is yet to come. And, you know, we're talking about the manipulation of the genome and the advancement of technology getting back to something yep. like the dates of Noah. I wanted to ask what you feel. I think a lot of, a lot of watchers and listeners would be interested in this. What, do you, what role do you feel that, you know, quote-unquote UFOs and aliens might play in that, in the end times? Yeah. It's a, it's a really good question, and I think... Uh, that we ought to be prepared for that, that obviously the world is moving towards a, a introduction of all of these different types of aliens and it's becoming very mainstream and you see the government releasing more information. What we, yeah. we should also be prepared for is they're not going to give us the whole truth and they're not going to um, use that information that they released in a way that we can trust or believe. So right. I think we're going to be shown these, these, these beings and that they're going to be hiding who they actually are. Yep. Because mm -hmm. they're not going to come out and say, these are fallen angels. Uh, I think yeah. they're going to create this whole series of beings uh, and understand that angels have that changeling capability that we talked about about earlier that like any form that they want uh, you could also expect that maybe there will be bodies created for the bodyless spirits of the yeah 
Rephaim and Nephilim to take of these, but we also have to be aware that there are creatures that were created in the corruption before the flood and maybe again in the second incursions after the flood where they created all sorts of crazy beings that are recorded in mythology. And so we have things like centaurs, right? We have right. Um, yeah. cyclops, we have mm-hmm. all sorts of creatures Satyrs. that yeah. are absolutely inundated. Yeah. And, and so we also have a classification called the elementals who I cover off in the book. And uh, I only cover three of those classifications. There's a fourth one called salamanders, and they're part of the reptilian. But the three that I cover off are the little people. And in one of those classifications, you have the gnomes. And with the gnomes, you have, and they're part of the ugly group as opposed to the mischievous ones and the good-looking ones. <laughs> they looked after genealogy, knowledge, and technology for science. And well, they would have roles. So if we go back to what you're talking about in uh, the Lord of the Rings, and you have like the dwarves. They're yeah. part of the ugly ones too, just yeah. as they're picked and they live birth, just as the hobbits do. And they made weapons for the giants and the gods. That was, that was their role. Gnomes, they were looking after the knowledge and the genealogies and the technology. So these are in the fairy culture known as the greys. Yes. neighbors in Scotland, but these are the gray gnomes, and they come through portals, fairy mounds, in flying machines with technology. So I give yes, examples please. of these fairy abductions and the sexual and experimentations that they like to do on, because they're trying to renew their, their, their genome, or not their genome, but their DNA, uh, because they have reproduction uh, issues. They have the exact same descriptions in terms of what they look like and what they do as the gray aliens. Yeah. And I think that is part of that uh, sort of Babylon 5 uh, galactic species that we're going to be uh, inundated mm-hmm. with uh, in, uh, in the end time. And so we're going to see reptilians like the salamanders. We're going to see all sorts of different kinds. All going to be represented as these beings that are like in Star Wars who are fighting against yeah. the evil empire, which is the, how they would view the God of the Bible, and fighting for freedom. And that if we want mm-hmm. to sit at that galactic table, we're going to have to join mm-hmm. alliance and fight yeah. with them against the evil oppressor of the universe. And so... Well, I look yeah. good in a storm uh, costume. I'll just tell you that right now. Hard in the time. <laughs> well, and, uh, you know, what's interesting about that uh, is... Uh, the movie Stargate actually could be classified as a, a bit of predictive programming with that because the main antagonist was a gray yes. who had taken possession of an yep. Egyptian mm-hmm. boy's yep. body, and it was because his species was dying. Mm-hmm. So I, that's an yeah. interesting aspect of pop culture is the predictive programming nature, that Luciferian telegraph. Uh, for lack of a better term, yeah, you know. Oh, and they did it big yeah. time with uh, that television, that televised series V. V for, back yeah. in the eighties, early eighties, yes. they released yes. V, which was yep. a with the reptilians. Well, and, yeah. the, and, X, X, and the Gaul are these little serpentine parasites that Avatar. Well, actually, they possess the host, as opposed mm-hmm. to the other ones, and I can't remember the other ones who share uh, with the human. 
Um, yeah. But what's interesting about the Stargate is, is that idea of these wormholes and maybe going to another d dimension, although they don't do it in the Stargate series. But the reason why I say that that's interesting is, is that when we talked about Babel earlier, yes, and we to talked about God. what he to overthrow God, and he was building this tower and he had all of this knowledge, there yeah. may have been more to it than that, because in Hebrew, really? Babel means confusion of languages, which we all know happened there. But the Sumerians have the same account of Babel um, with Enmerakar, which really? is kind of like a Nimrod equivalent, third generation, just as Nimrod was. And the Akkadians come out of Nimrod and out of Sumeria as the biblical genealogies. Uh, and in Akkadian, Babel doesn't mean confusion of language. It means El is in God, just as El is Hebrew word for angel or God in the Bible. And Bab means gate. Right. This is a, a gateway the of the gods. Of Babylon. Yeah. Yeah. Gateway and I wonder gods. whether or not. Yeah. Nimrod was trying to create uh, a wall into another dimension and or was he trying to get into the dimension where the abyss would be located to let mm -hmm. the gods they were honoring with their newly adopted Enochian religion out of the abyss. Right. Which would be the equivalent of like letting loose the Titans. Yeah. Sort of. Yeah. 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 Hey, that, that actually ties that ties into a question that I wanted to ask you because when you were talking about the fairy kingdoms, you're talking about these little people and this mythology of uh, uh, the Celts. Uh, you mentioned that uh, these, these, these fair, you know, we use the word fairies. Right, but they're really more elves or... Yeah, these like, they're, they're interdimensional or... beings yeah. who would come through portals. Mm -hmm. The ugliest uh, Galadriel yep. ever. Yeah, the ugliest Galadriel ever, <laughs> for sure. Not a smoking hot Galadriel with a sterling ring, <laughs> right? Yeah. For sure, but they come through portals at um, at Shays. Yes, you mentioned Shays, uh, which I uh, yep. S I D H E. Yep. I think they're pronounced Shays in Gaelic. Yep. Uh, yep. Which are yep. you called them fairy mounds? And so my question is, mm -hmm. are these akin to what we would describe as burial mounds here in the U.S.? Yeah. Or I mean, they're all over. They could. Be. They could very well be. Uh, I don't know that fairy mounds are real mounds, but you know, mounds can be portals, and uh, or many a dolmen is also known as a fairy dolmen. Which, and if, if you don't want, haven't seen a dolmen, Google it. It's spelled D-O-L-M-E-N, and it's like a mini Stonehenge, and it's a portal, really? and they're all over the world. And just as yeah. uh, there are hundreds of portals in. Uh, Gilgal Raphaim or Wheel of the Giants on the Plateau uh, Mount Hermon uh, in, in, in Israel um, in the Golan Heights. And, and like the Raphaim and the Ugaritic texts would come back and forth, or at least the gods would go back and forth in the portals in the Ugaritic texts, depending on how you interpret reading those texts. And so, yeah, you have the Shays, who are also called the Tuatha Dé Danann. They're interchangeable. And again, it's thought that the Tuatha mm. Dé Danann could go back between the portals. And the, the Shay are also, um, there's a painting, famous painting called Riders of the Shay. 
and you have these giant elf-like uh, pale creature uh, kings and queens riding mm -hmm. horses that have these uh, a helmet with horn on, like a unicorn horn. And, and that's no coincidence because the Nephilim used to ride this Chimera type horse yes. in the movie Epoch and they went into war. I heard that. And yeah. so, yeah. Yeah, and unicorns exist for a reason. So, wow. A lot of allegories that are intermixed in there. And if you go into Lord of the Rings and you see the little people, you see a reflection of some of them. They also have the white elves in there. The white elves mm -hmm. weren't little people. White elves were large people and are the same as Shay. They were, they were Nephilim, and they're depicted as the noble uh, elf and the noble Celt, mm -hmm. as, as, I, as I also link them to in the book. These are a representation of the writers of the Shay, only it's hmm. encoded into the Anuluvian Epoch. Um, as being the elf beings, right? But uh, understand that the Tuatha Dé Danann in the occult lived both before for the flood, and the Tuatha Dé Danann were part of what you were referencing earlier, uh, escaping out of Tartarus, and escaped mm. out of Tartarus into Scythia to repopulate with giants after the flood. That's the occult. Yeah version. I think the Raphaim, but um, that's their version in terms of um, that they somehow escaped the abyss. It makes no sense, but somehow they escaped from Tartarus. And that's the root of the whole Tartarian mythos that's out there, and these Tartarian mm -hmm. empires that were in the East that is, is quite popular. Wow. I don't get into that yeah. in the book because it's a, you know, it's a book in itself, but uh, that's the root <laughs> of, the, uh, of, of the mythos. We might save that for uh, for the sequel or the trilogy. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, real <laughs> quick, while uh, while the connection's good, and uh, and while we have a, a break in subjects, um, Gary, you got a second book that you're working on? Yeah. I am actually. I'm working on two books. Um, although I set the one I was working on aside, and I'm just really into this new book it's coming real a lot easier than the other one and maybe it's just that's the way it needs to be yeah. but I, I said i would a sequel to the genesis 6 conspiracy because i didn't want to be redundant but what i keep hearing from people who contact me is is that they want more information yeah and there's way, way more information there than what i put in the book in fact i took out 350 pages out of this book mm -hmm. just to get it down to a size to publish. And there's way more information than that. So I'm doing a sequel to the Genesis Conspiracy. I'm playing with the name uh, Prehistory awesome. and Prophet of Genesis 6 Conspiracy Part 2. And there oh, yeah. is so much more in the Bible about giants. People don't yeah. realize all the different people that are talked about as giants. And then there's a lot more on angels and how they intermix. And so I'm going to get into angelic hierarchy. I'm going to get a lot more on Herman. I'm going to get in, into yeah. uh, arcs of Genesis 10 that we talked about. We're going to get more of giants. We're going to talk about different kinds of Nephilim. We're, it's going to be hopefully not as big as this last book, uh, but it could be a fairly <laughs> large book as well. I'll go for broke, man. I'm going to, I'm yeah, going to take that go for it, man. And I'm going to take that into, <laughs> and I'm going to take that into prophecy, where in the New Testament talks about in Greek and understand, we don't 
have the same language, we have to sort of link the words because you're going Greek yeah. to English and Hebrew to English. But when, when it talks about the great and mighty in the New Testament, and particularly in, in Revelation, that is talking about the nobles and the bloodlines. And just as they're talked about in the war oh, in yeah. Revelation 19, this, these are the gibberim, these are the Nephilim, these are the Raphaim bloodlines that are being talked about. And we're going to show that for people and walk that through. And they're still vying for power to this day. Yeah. Through the bloodlines, yeah. through governments and empires. Yeah. And, you know, it, nothing has changed is, you know, nothing all that has is, changed. All that is and, uh, new is that which has been forgotten, mm, you know? Yeah. Well, and, and we're and we're told we're going to connect the meaning of the beast empires. I mean, the beast oh, empires, yeah. and there's also the metallic empires are the same. But the beast is a great analogy because Antichrist is called the beast comes from the beast empire. Mm -hmm. Whether or not you're talking about Revel, Revel, or I mean Daniel seven or Daniel eight, and these are the empires of the beam after the flood. Yeah, these are the yeah. bloodlines. This is the beast empire, and. In the end time, there's be ten of these kings that are going to be groups of empires, right. or spheres of influence, or trading yeah. blocks that come to power in the end time. And you have all of these royal bloodlines that are going to be vying to be that bloodline that's going to have the European. I think there will be two European blocks. Obviously, there's going to be a North American block of some sort. Um, mm -hmm. And I say of some sort because it's not clear to me that the U.S. remains as one country. Uh, it all comes yeah. comes together to, to create and, and, uh, and the larger those, group of nations that would might include Britain. Might, yeah. might. And it seems like yeah. one of those powers, one of those kings, ends up being the Antichrist. Yeah. So it seems like these bloodlines are contending to be the ultimate bloodline they're jockeying for they're, they're trying to be antichrist position. yeah exactly yeah. exactly so right. which kind of harkens back to so nimrod you, you, right you, you, he's kind of the first of that yeah archetypical that's where the babylon religion comes from right yeah the enochian religion of the antediluvian epoch and that's why it's part of organizational structure and why it it rises the beast of empires in Revelation, yeah, because it's going to be that same religion, part of that same organizational structure that was at Babel and at um, in, in the Antediluvian epoch. And, and it's interesting. There's a term called the terrible ones that I'm going to talk about in in in, in the new book as well. And particularly, it's in Isaiah, and it's also also in Ezekiel 31 and 32. These are the ones that um, the evil on earth. Uh, as Raphaim kings and are the ones that are in this. And it's interesting that Gilgamesh all goes to the cedar forest, which is on Mount Hermon, to kill King Habada, who is the terrible one, who is was commissioned by the God to uh, do terrible things to human beings. And actually, it's not Gilgamesh who kills him. It's, it's an Akedna or Enkidu who is going to lose his life because he, he disobeyed the gods and killed King Habada, who is a super chimera creature after yeah. after the flood but wow. yeah it's, it's it's very very interesting that um if you look at the language in the book how it, it it just sort of meshes perfectly and when people are looking at 
the, the beast empires of seven, which we're told in Revelation, you only get four of them in, in Daniel 7 or Daniel 8. And Daniel 8 is another prophecy that links in and tell about Daniel 7 and Revelation 13 and 17. So it's got, mm-hmm. it's got seven and Daniel 8 as well. And it's not, not like it's one or the other, it's both prophecies. So it's telling us that Antioch is likely going to come out of that Greek empire. And Greek was made up of Alexander, the four kings that came up afterwards, then Rome, and then the end time empire. And then Antioch right. is the eighth king. In Daniel 7, you get Babylon 4 with Nebuchadnezzar, who's the terrible one who brings about the, you know, the apocalypse on the people of Judah uh, and mm-hmm. takes yeah. them back to, uh, to Babylon. And he's one of those kings as well. And before that, you have, I think it's probably Babel, even though Assyria is in there as well. And But I understand Assyria comes from Nimrod anyways. So it's it's kind of one of the same. But I lean more towards the Arkad's figure with Nimrod, with the beginning of the Babylon religion. Yeah. And then the second of polytheism that dominates after the flood is Egypt. But Egypt and Babel and Assyria as part of that seven. Well, that makes sense because Egypt, as I think you point out in this book, or maybe in your previous um, interviews, Egypt seems to ultimately derive its same mystery cult uh, motif from uh, Atlantean, antediluvian sort of Nephilim, you know, that whole that whole system, you know. That Nephilim, um, oh, and it, it was, and it was the the country that um, let Israel become a nation, and then enslaved them, and the beast empires are all centered around what happens to Israel, which is why I also believe Assyria in there as well as part of the Nimrod Empire because they're the ones who bring the apocalypse to the northern empire and disperses the northern tribes to the four winds of prophecy and i don't use that term loosely and i have a document on that too for people if they want it and it's got to do with the four horsemen um and you have syria that plays this large role and also keep in mind just in a just i'm just going to throw this out but there's a second exodus coming in the end time where the lost tribes are going to awaken uh, and are going to be taken back in a second Hmm. exodus to meet those who flee judea at the time time of the abomination so it's a lot happens after the abomination and it, the exodus does and uh, it happens after judea flees comes to be protected that's recorded in matthew 24 martin and luke and also in revelation 12 and, but i do think the awakening happens in the first three and a half years just as you've got the 144,000 that are preaching the gospel and awakening the lost tribes yeah um, okay, so we have about, uh, we have close to 25 minutes, but um, I want to definitely ask this question uh, before um, before we have to let you go. I have two questions, basically, but I definitely want to ask both of them if I have time. Um, this is such a loaded question. Gary Wayne, what do you think about Bigfoot? Go. Well, I think it's those creations that um, was before the flood, and I think it's after the flood yep. as well. So I think that 
there's a lot of correlations between Bigfoot and Nephilim, but they're distinct. So I think yeah. it's I, what I call the creations that are outside the Nephilim and the Rephaim. They're kind of like that umbrella group of violations against uh, uh, the law of creation. And, you know, there's a lot of connections between um, these creatures because they're all intelligent. They all tend to have a different mm -hmm. smell about them. Um, mm -hmm. uh, Bigfoot, you know, lives in caves just as Nephilim and the Horim. You know, Horim means cave dweller. They're known to live, live in no. caves and build in cities and stuff like that. Um, and there's a connection between Bigfoot and UFOs. Um, yep. And there's a connection between Bigfoot and the little people. And oh, really? These things are intelligent, and they can communicate. There, there's tapping and noises that they that they make. Right. They're known to be blood drinkers. Um, there's stories of them crossbreeding with. I mean, there's yeah. a lot of different correlations. Joe Rogan, um, and for when I talk about <laughs> Yeah. So either they're a creation where they're manipulating other animals together to create them, or it is a Nephilim kind of creation, not DNA manipulation. And then there's, there's a fallen angel or a god in the Gnostic book of the secret book, according to John. And he's part of the seven angels established or created by Ialdabaoth. Uh, that ruler, and I think that's, and he's also called Samael. So to me, that that's Satan. Oh, right. I, I know the Gnostics yes. will call the marriage and Ael the Bayoth, the God of the Bible. That's their inverse, yeah. turn everything upside down and inside out to infuse people. And he creates these seven uh, angels. These are like, like the seven Satans that are talked about in um, uh, Enoch and the seven mountains and the seven stars and the seven wandering stars that the book of Jude mm. talks about. And one of them, his name is Adonan Ael, says, I think one of the Dead Sea Scroll uh, Gospels has it recorded. There's a few different, but it's the same angel. And he's described in this book, the secret book, according of John, of having the face of an ape. Oh, really? So if you huh. imagine that at a seraphim who has the face of a viper creates and Raphaim, and he has DNA that, that would pass on because he needs to have that vegetarian that DNA that would pass on, would pass on and that's why you have so many kings kings depicted as serpents throughout the world right. they look just like their parents interesting yeah. have yeah. Angel, and you've got all in creation, creator kings and the Nagas in, uh, in India. You've got the uh, the feathered serpent or the plume yep. serpent with the Kishamaya. Sort of on and on with all these different serpent type of gods. Osiris was a serpent god. You had Zeus as a serpent god. The parents were mostly serpent gods. But there are also some other faces to these parent gods. You have Mahi or Nergal, one out of Egypt, oh, one yeah, out of, yeah. have a lion face. And we get 
lion nephilim in the Bible, the lion, the lion men of Gad and the lion men of Moab, and it goes back to the Hebrew word Ariel, El being an angel, <laughs> and Ariel meaning lion, uh, lion of God. Mm -hmm. That is what it actually means. Area. It makes sense yeah. that you could have had an offspring that looked like one of the fallen angels, and in this case, maybe Adonin, and, and or other, you know, um, angels in uh, or fallen angels in, let's say, the sub. Uh, um, you got uh, uh, Hamuma was maybe one of them, and then you've got uh, Sue King that talks about that, but be more elephant than like Ganesh out of the right. Hmm. But there's yeah, there's there are a few that are connected to uh, monkey-like beings or gods God being used offspring just like and, and the Nagas produced the, you know a race of kings and warriors and you also have another group that's out there you know you know, um, you've got the Anunnaki which everybody's mm -hmm. sort of picked them as these bird-like beings. Um, in uh, in Sumeria, as well as being related to the Anunnaki, well, they also produced offspring as well. And then you get these birds called the Tengu in China in India and in Southeast Asia and in Japan, T-E-N-G-U, they produced offspring that had these bird-like looks to them. And they were warriors and the priests, and they were the inventors of the martial arts in, in Japan. Oh, right. Akisha yeah. had the Zibalba, her uh, owl or bird-like demigods who lived in the other world and were the enemies of humans. And within that group, you had Zots, C-A-M-A-Z-O-T-Z. Google Camazots, you're going to get this outfit that looks like the fat man. <laughs> and these were all offsprings of the gods. And yeah. so the connection there is, is that there, there are many kinds of Nephilim that were produced. The, Serpentine one uh, that Akhenaten would come from, and Akhenaten, if you Google a picture of him, just look at that serpentine looking face. And again, that's over a thousand years after the flood by biblical chronology, or over 1500 years after the flood by, by secular chronology. And those are diluted, but he still has that protruding chin, high ones, those large wraparound eyes and that elongated serpentine skull. So mm -hmm. the, they, they did take on the, on, the, on the appearance of their fathers, even though those, 
looks and that size has been diluted over. So I think it's it's very bold that these uh, that the uh, Bigfoot or Sasquatch or um, yet continents all around the world uh, mythos, uh, <laughs> just like pyramids are all on all continents around the world, except for right. Antarctica, yep. who you know. Well, the there's probably there, a good reason like, for that. They're, they're underneath Antarctica. In all cultures <laughs> and on all, all continents around the world, little people are. This is a history that yeah. crosses all cultures, has an accounting of it. And it's all through North America with First Nations. And, um, yeah. And just, you just can't look at that as, as a coincidence. So I think there are many kinds of those. But I also believe there could be some manipulation that went on as well to create these chimera type of creatures that would then um, biologically created offspring. I think we're going to see that again. I mean, they're already telling. Then what I also find is that there might be even another another combination because the epic of a Gilgamesh, and whether it's up not. Kitchen or all of his family that are on the ark, who are Nephilim. We know he's a Nephilim just as uh, Gilgamesh is, and just as Anakedon is, because they're created from the gods as offspring of the gods, and are two thirds god and one human. Hey, ask me a question. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry, uh, Gary. I don't know if you heard me or not. I just uh, I wanted your thoughts on 9-11. You know, there's so many theories out there about it being either an occult ritual or uh, I've even heard the releasing of a badden. You know, there are just all these different things out there. You are kind of the expert on esoterica and um, and Christian conspiracy. I would be fascinated to hear what you thought. Well, you know, 9-1-1 is, uh, you know, one of those historical turning points and i think we yeah. might be going through yeah, sure. another page in that and uh what yeah. it's done is it's mm. created anarchy right it it create and it takes it ha- has the ability um and was seized upon just as covid as we're seeing seized upon to take rights away and yes. this mm. yes. this seems yeah. to be all more contrived than coincidental or just happenstance and so when i look at uh, islamic terrorism and i wonder you know where it begins and where it parts from the globalist movement and i think sometimes they can be at odds but what i do know is they have a history of beginning sort of together and so you know, with the Al Wahhabi group out of uh, Saudi Arabia and Al Qaeda, um, where Bin Laden comes from, you have a connection with the Muslim Brotherhood that we have to understand, and we also have to understand that the uh, the Wahhabi movement were was active in World War Two. It was active working with collaborators in as the Nazi intelligence in World War II. Yeah. 
And then after World War II, the Muslim Brotherhood went to Saudi Arabia and kind of merged with into that group as part of that group, as an extension of that group, and then, then back out with sort of a kind of a renewed focus. And this is the group that then becomes funded by a fellow by the name of Alan Dulles after World War II. Yeah. And mm -hmm. he is CIA yeah. leader. Now, I understand yeah. that George Bush Sr. Mm -hmm. uh, was CIA yep. and that his uh, father um, was part, you know, was, was kind of instrumental in forming the CIA as well. So you yeah. start to get, you get some connections here. And then in um, Osama, Osama bin Laden comes along and he's educated in, uh, with the Wasabi group. And he becomes a student of the, the Muslim Brotherhood, and he becomes a favored student, a future leader, that they're going to be um, teaching the finer arts of fascism to, uh, left-wing fascism, <laughs> even though he's coming from the right, and Nazism, just as the yeah. Wahhabi collaborated with uh, the Nazis. And then in 1979, George Bush Sr., he, as, as CIA director, he hires bin Laden, bin Laden and Al-Qaeda, uh, not that they're known as Al-Qaeda back then, to fight the Russians in Afghanistan. Yeah, Rambo so Free. They fund, yeah. So they fund them again. Yeah. And then coincidentally, so whether there's a falling apart or whatever, or they're part of creating this global anarchy, you have 911 when George Bush Jr. comes to office. Yeah. So you have this Bush, Bush, Bush sort of connection. And the it's CIA. Like cleaning up their mess. Almost. And then you have all of these Saudis who are supplied transportation out of the country at the time. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And there's no reason given to us as to why other they don't have any connection, but we find out later that they have connections, family members with, within the Wahhabi movement. And the Saudis are not properly investigated oh, by of course the FBI. Not. We're starting to get yeah. some things that are now coming out about that from the FBI. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but through yeah, the whole the commission, nothing is I'm starting to get angry. Really exposed <laughs> about this about this group. And I would also note that Bush Jr. Did not catch Osama bin Laden. Nope. Right. Yeah. And I wonder whether or not. I wonder whether or not that is coincidental. But what uh -huh. I do know is is that the Dulleses, both Alan and John, they were instrumental in helping get the Nazis funded. They were uh, the agent to the West, the agents for the West, and the lawyers for the banks that included the Rockefellers and uh, the Rothschilds to fund the Nazi movement. And, you know, Prescott uh, Bush, I mean, he, he was uh, mentored by Ed Harriman. And uh, Harriman was the major shareholder in one of the banks that were funding the Nazis. So you had like the Schroeder Bank, uh, 
that was acting as part of the agent for the BIS that's funded by the Rockefellers and the Schroeder Reichstag Bank and uh, the Farben Bank of the Warburgers, the Rockefellers Banks and uh, UBC uh, are all funding BIS, which is the uh, uh, the bank um, oh, international settlement companies that is using to get all of this money to fund the Nazis to take on the Russians, except that just as Russians got out of hand, so did the Nazis. And then they had to turn their money against the Nazis because they started, you know, doing horrible right. things like uh, uh, Holocaust against the Jewish people, which many of these people were Jewish <laughs> that were funding the Nazis. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> so they got out of control. I'm not, I'm not saying there's a Jewish conspiracy that dominates the world. I think there's mystical Jews within the secret societies. They're part yeah. of. They're not necessarily the... Those mystery the, cults have tentacles everywhere. Yeah. yeah. And it's the Rothschilds who funded the Harrimans. And it's the Harrimans who was the mentor of Prescott Bush. Wasn't Prescott and Bush Jen, also involved Jen, in the business plot? Yeah. Is that... Yeah. Am, I, am I getting the right Bush? There are so many of them at yep. this point. Yeah. You know, yeah. Okay. Prescott yeah. and then his son, George Sr. And then George Jr. That's the succession there. Yeah, okay. And uh, the Skull and Bones family, which the Bushes were part of, which is the mm -hmm. sort of the young Illuminati of the West, of you know, the United yeah. States within that organization, um, yeah. you know, that included the Rockefellers, the Harrimans, and the Bushes, part of the main families of that organization. So you have right. all of these connections um, that intermingle through the Nazis and then after the Nazis through their sponsored CIA new because it changes its name it morphs into the CIA after after World War II that is funding these Islamic terrorists that right. they've created this whole perpetual war machine yeah mm. right and you will go up against the war machine like Kennedy found or uh, mm -hmm. Trump found, and right. they're not going to take. Um, they're not going to be nice to you. They're going to. No. They're going <laughs> to stand up and uh, and try and bring you down. Yeah. So there seems to be this. Well, I guess where I'm going with it is, is that this all of these weapons, all of this training, all of the money that went into Al Qaeda. And the Wahhabi movement seems to have been done for a purpose. And yeah. the establishment of the Republican Party and the establishment of the Democratic Party, you can't really tell the difference. Nope. No, they're one of the same. I mean, what yeah. was it that Bush uh, Jr. ran on? Um, compassionate compassionate conservatism. conservatism. We call that yep. being a red Tory in Canada. Yeah, that's right. Uh huh. <laughs> Yeah, red red Tory. yeah, because yeah. he wanted to uh, reach across the aisle, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, it just it, it's six of one, half a dozen of the other. You're, yeah. you know, you cannot serve two masters, mm -hmm. you know, and we say that as a couple of Christian conservatives, yeah. you know, yeah. yeah, even in our state, you know, our governor is uh, Republican, but he, we, a lot of rhino, yeah, oh, total rhino, total yeah, rhino. talks a good game only. to keep the Republicans happy, yeah. but his actions. Yeah. Play yeah. to the middle to accommodate both. He doesn't enforce anything. He doesn't change anything. Right. Yeah, they're um, they're anyway, not as they're, 
they're not the establishment is not as tough on Christians as mm -hmm. the establishment of and the and the war party of the Democrats, but their goals are the same. They may approach yeah. it mm -hmm. in a slightly different manner, but they're still cattle herding everybody into world government. So yes. you know, mm -hmm. along comes Obama. He's not invading countries, he's just setting the whole world on fire. Right. Yeah. <laughs> says, I'm going to support you and then right. doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> right. But right. They, yeah. they were doing regime change and anarchy and allowing uh, ISIS to come back. And, yep. you know, they were all they're all working. If, if people just take a step back and look at who who the globalists are. They're yeah. the ones that are always funding and sponsoring or saying we have to destroy them, which they never do. Mm -hmm. so that they can create perpetual war and anarchy to try and yes. bring about this globalist uh, government that seems to be um, their only focus and their, their only loyalty. Yeah. So, yep. uh, I mean, I, I probably wouldn't have, be happy. Yeah, I probably as a, you know, I'm, I'm Canadian, so I couldn't have voted. I wouldn't have voted for Trump on the first go around because I wasn't yeah. convinced he was conservative. I thought he was just a Democrat who couldn't run with the Democrats. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, sure. And a lot of his policies, you know, are a little bit more left-leaning, but he also did a lot of conservative things and he, he did a lot of good things for Christians. So yeah. in the last election, I would have voted for the independents in, in the first election because I couldn't vote for, for, for Clinton um, yeah. based on her track record. Um, and you don't want to vote for the adrenochrome drinker? <laughs> the adrenochrome drinker. Yeah, the adren you don't want to vote for the adrenochrome drinker. The bell of Benghazi. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. All that, yeah. That yeah, sorry, track Gary. record, yeah. But in the last election, I would have voted for Trump if I was an American because of the overt evil yeah. that rose up yeah. against Trump. Yeah. Right. The and beast. all over the world, Woke the beast, yeah. the beast system, yeah. the swamp that he uncovered and he, he exposed them for what they were yep. and yeah. that they were going to win and get rid of him in the election at all costs. Yeah, they yeah. really were. And the I whole could not, system it, turned against him. Yeah. And now we have mm -hmm. uh, we have a catastrophe yeah. and, a, and a global calamity that is going on that Tell has just started to be done. Yeah. And Absolutely. it's all designed to weaken the U.S. It is. Yep. So that they have equal partners in the whole globalist state. Yeah. The trouble is, is, is what they forget, is you have rival bloodlines across uh, the world. And uh, Putin uh, is not going to take a lower role. He's not against the new world order. He just yeah. wants a larger role and a larger empire for Russia. Same yeah. with uh, the president of China, Xi. And by mm -hmm. the way, both of those have bloodlines these leaders oh interesting, interesting. Ah, yeah. ah okay yeah very interesting you know it's interesting if you uh if 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 you're a person who doesn't believe that there is a an agenda for a, a one global government yeah you weren't paying attention yeah, to what happened attention. in America over the past 18 months yeah you have not been paying attention yeah you can't look at that and say i think there's something going on Beyond just two parties mm -hmm. not agreeing with each other about for the past four years, I mean, Leviathan reared its ugly head and smiled. Yep. Oh yeah, for I sure. Mean, the Hydra just 
pour its breath upon Trump at every turn. And I'm not saying that Trump is a good guy. You know, there's a great YouTube channel called Probably Alexandra, which mm. kind of shows that there's a potential dark side cabal and a Luciferian Saint Germain yep. sort of light side. And Trump mm -hmm. may be sort of more on that Luciferian light side. But at the very least, the enemy that we know I mean, because we both voted for him, yeah. But the both times, and yeah. the enemy that we know is the enemy that you go after. Yeah, and and theory and you figure is, out the other part later. Theory aside, if you're if you're if you if you're an American, you live in America, and you just look at American history. Theory yeah. aside, there have only been four impeachments in our history: yeah. Andrew Johnson right after Lincoln, President Nixon back in the whatever sixties, seventies, yeah. whatever, and then Trump twice. <laughs> twice. Yeah. <laughs> like that's unheard yeah, of. Things are heating up. Things are coming to a boil, uh, so it's hard to to look at things uh, in in American politics and and think, oh yeah, there's nothing going on. This is politic politics as usual. Yeah, something is happening right well, now. Well, but at the same time, it's not disassociated from what Gary talks about in these books. No, no, you know, it's these, directly related. This these is, these bloodlines the, and these jockeying, you know, mm -hmm. families all yeah. for. Yeah. Gary Primo connects all position. the dots for us. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think Trump, you know, he ran in the Republicans because they would not let him run on the Democratic side. So, um, yeah. but I mean, you, you, I mean, we can't expect that Christians are going to be all of the leaders. We just expect that the leaders will treat us fairly and not yeah. persecute us. And clearly, I mean, right from the inaugural address he declared anybody who voted for trump or conservative as being like al-qaeda as a right. as a terrorist and that he was creating changes in through executive action in the fbi and in the cia and homeland security to yeah. put down this threat of terrorism from within um, yeah. and and they had a very convenient excuse of having people like Chewbacca man walking around singing and doing prayers in Congress um, <laughs> to call all Trump voters uh, terrorists. I mean, yeah, they are they are seeding genocide, but yeah. there's going to be a reaction. Mm, and scary. that's why I think there's a good possibility possibility that most of middle of the United States splits away from. Uh, the coastal regions of the United States, and there might be yep. like Florida and a couple other states yep. go along with it. And pipelines and oil will bring Western Canada along with that because, yeah. oh, really? yes. Um, and so we got you guys had, with us. Yeah. And there was economists <laughs> that were um, predicting that the environmental movement and left-wing politicians would drive Western Canada into this new union in the U.S. because of oil and pipelines. It's amazing to watch that yeah, come true. Well, so, that was one of the first things that Biden did. Yeah. Man, if we can get you guys. It was the first thing he did. Yeah. yeah. It was the first thing. He shut down the pipeline. Yeah. yeah. It's first and, executive order. And, and, didn't, and didn't even talk to our prime minister, but, you know, he's mm -hmm. Obama light anyways. And Right. Course, I know. He's Zoolander. You know, yeah, he's yeah. he's, uh, you know, yeah, he's the pretty male model. We could talk about this forever. I know we're cutting into your time, <laughs> Gary. Uh, so I apologize uh, for us going over. Um, do you uh, do you have time for uh, Nick's last questions or do yes. we need to let you go? Yep. Yep. Yeah, I appreciate yep. it. We can, we can go a little bit longer. Yep. Can okay. we? OK, yep. cool. You I, tell I, us because we can keep going forever, dude. <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> 
So my first question is actually related to the publishing of your book because, you know, mm -hmm. we're writers and we're a writer's group and, and, and people watch this because they have similar interests. Um, I'm curious to know when you, I mean, this, this book looks like you seek, it's not self-published. You sought out a publisher. Trusted you know, books. Yeah. Yep. Trusted yeah. book, which is a division of deep river books. So yes. my question is, um, and you know, most, newbie novice amateur authors especially self-published ones want, want to know this did you engage an agent to find a publisher who would take on this project uh, or did you approach the publisher directly what was that what was that journey like well it's a journey and a half uh, if you think writing hmm. the book is um the project it's not trying to get published <laughs> is and then yeah. what you have to do what you learn afterwards how little the publishers um, actually do for you if you want to make your book successful so yeah well you know if you were Hillary Clinton for example um, you would they, they, they have they would say spend a dollar per uh, book sold for marketing so if you have a platform which I did not um, and I'm not somebody like Hillary Clinton they're not going to spend you know, five hundred thousand dollars on a marketing campaign, or a hundred thousand. They're they're just hoping to get their money back, right? Yeah, so, right. Yeah, yeah. so you have to know that going in that getting published is very, very, very difficult. But I did not want to self-publish, and so yeah. I tried to get an agent, and nobody would take me on, mostly because they all said that they all had clients, and I probably contacted every agent in North America, and then mm -hmm. I sent my manuscript out to all the publications and most of them say don't send it anyways because we're not going to look at it we're only going to go through uh agents okay. and right right but some of them the didn't respond to me and they said you know you, you got some good ideas here not for us um mm -hmm. so then i went i'm figuring out how am i going to get published if i don't want to self-publish so then i went on an online uh publishing uh, not online but an online um website where you could put your uh, proposal, a shortened one on it, because a book proposal fills a binder that you have to send right, to sure. the publisher. So you have to do a shortened online right. one. And a uh, one company got a, a hold of me and uh, thought that they wanted to maybe publish the book. And then they read a few things in it and they said, well, no, we're an evangelical publisher and we don't like what you no. said about this or what about that. I said, well, that's a little bit offside. Would you mind if I um, wrote you a letter and challenged everything that you said and you can present it back to your board? And so yeah. I did everything scripturally for them and they said, you know what, we, we can't argue against you. It's just, would you mind changing a, a few words here or there? So we get to within 30 days of my book coming out and it was like a year and a half to almost two years to go through to get all the marketing set up and wow. the editing and everything else. They went bankrupt. Oh um, my gosh, geez. are you kidding me? <laughs> no, geez. I'm Sounds not like Lifeway. And then one of the people who was in the project and was kind of excited Jeez. about the book, he gets hired by Deep River, and he suggests to Deep River that you know maybe have a look at this because almost everything's done. And they, and uh, so Mr. Carmichael got a hold of me on it, and he said, you know, I don't know even why we're looking at this. We don't do these kinds of books, <laughs> but. You know, I think maybe, you know, we'll, we want to try this just because it just seems to be something that, that should be done. 
and in, 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 and so they put it through the editing process as well. And what was interesting in all of that is that I wrote the book where it could be split into five books or into right. two books or into three books because yeah. I didn't know, and it wouldn't be that much to change it. And so each one of them, when they first said, let's do sequels on this, let's not do it all in one. And then the editors get hold of it and say, oh no, this has got to be told in one one story. You may sell more books the other way, but it needs to be told all at once. So that's yeah. that's cool. the way we went. But it, it was... It probably took me four years to get through all of that to to get published. So, wow, that sounds about right. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for yeah. hanging in there during that yeah. grueling <laughs> Dude, experience no, because this yeah. is a real benefit to a lot of thousands of people. Yeah, I'm sure have purchased this book. Can you imagine? And are learning. There are eyes are being opened. well because there's such a blind spot, Gary. On um, and Nick and I both know this uh, as lifelong Christians. There's such a blind spot for this Genesis six concept, this yeah. Nephilim, uh, and not just how it relates to modern day events with the Freemasons and you know the bloodlines and world governments and you know globalism, but just biblically this. There is an underground war that is not underground as far as the Bible is concerned. Right. But yeah. no one talks about this. Yeah. Can you imagine what the landscape would look like? And it matters. That's the thing. This isn't um, this isn't like uh, the magician's nephew of the Bible. Right. You know, this isn't like just some interesting backstory esoterica that doesn't apply. This stuff matters. Yeah. This stuff has impact on your day-to-day -day life. It reframes a lot of your understanding it of scripture. It reframes a yeah. yeah, and a lot of your just your current living and so it helps you understand the world more. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine what churches would look like, Gary, if if they carried this book in their their gift shops that they all yeah. have because of course they're not going to because they're all all seminary schools are controlled by masons, you right. know. Well, and and they're not taught uh prehistory and they're not taught prophecy and and, right. and I get a lot of ministers getting hold of me saying we weren't taught this can you send me that information because he says I think it's true I just need more more help with it uh, so uh, they were they've been taken over and there's no doubt there's been an influence by by Gnostics and Masons uh, within the seminary schools both within the Roman Church and outside the Roman Church noting that we have Jesuits um, in control today um, yeah. which are not mm -hmm. the key organization in the world. They're, again, just part of that whole secret society uh, organization and sponsored by the, the Rosicrucians and as, as the new Templars. They were yes. reestablished to replace the Templars. So, uh -huh. yeah, so people are not, unfortunately, being prepared. They're not being taught prehistory properly, yeah. and they are certainly not being taught prophecy or that there's any sort of connections in there. And that the only way that you can get that information is through outside sources. And, you know, it's, there's, a, there's a lot of sources that yep. um, aren't all that reliable. Uh, and you've got right. Gnostics out there and uh, Masons out there who are really out there to muddy the waters and to mislead people in prophecy. Yeah. So it, it's very difficult for Christians to, to to know who to rely on. What I what I can tell you is is you can't rely on your church leaders as what we've seen in COVID, you to to lead us properly, and you can't rely on them to prayer to prepare you for what's coming because they are going to be deceived in yeah. the end time. The, and and if you don't think so, Jesus told us they would be that yeah, even right. the elect will be deceived if that were possible, mm -hmm. and they will be deceived. 
Yes. So yes. We're, we need to get the information out there and we need to verify everything. I don't want people to take me on face value. I want them to verify everything that I'm talking about. And uh, that's why I try, I try and give so much information and in in all of the sourcing that I have. And I give additional mm -hmm. information uh, at no charge for people who contact me. So that's um, amazing. Your bibliography in the back is it's a significant portion. I was going to, uh, yeah, I was going to, I wanted to get the page count on the bibliography, but I mean, let's see, end notes are, I mean, the end notes alone are from page 702 to what, eight? Yeah, 801. Yeah, you know? there's 100 pages of end notes. Yeah. yeah, 100 pages of end notes. And then the bibliography. The bibliography alone, which is just lists of books that Gary has used, six ninety four to seven oh two. Man, yeah. I mean, and and all the books, books I and all yeah. the books I use, I have, and there's some of them are in, in behind me. So, oh, um, if anybody and I do get challenged on it and say, "Well, I don't think he said this," I just no, here's a picture of the page. <laughs> <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> I mean, yeah, that's the thing, like. You can look at that and say, you know what, I trust that he knows what he's talking yeah. about. Or you can go find out for yourself. You when know? I ordered There's this... no mystery cult about it. No, there no. is like, you know, you know on a lighter time mystery cult. When I ordered this copy, the first time I ordered your book and it arrived, I did not realize how big it is. It, it's <laughs> that big. Yeah. I, <laughs> I didn't either. I, I, li I pulled it out of the uh, Amazon sleep, and I <laughs> right, literally yeah. said, whoa. Oh, boy. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. Man, yeah. awesome. Well, listen, I got one last question for you, yep. and uh, I'm going gonna, uh, gonna to put you on the spot a little bit, uh, but would you do, this, do us the honor of letting us interview you again when your next book comes out? Oh, Absolutely, yeah. or sooner if you want. So Absolutely. I, I'd yeah. love that. I have, we so have so many questions. Ark of Gabriel, Flat Earth, Antarctica, yeah. like oh, yeah. War Against the Aliens. Yeah. Like, I mean, just there's so much topical All the crazy stuff. stuff we talk about after we do this live stream. We go, to, we go to the Mexican restaurant and we hang out for like an hour and a half and talk yeah. about all this stuff. Yeah. Uh, we've got, we definitely have more questions and we would love that. We would yeah. love it if you're open. This has that. been so amazing, Gary. Yeah. I can't tell you how awesome this has been. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate it because, uh, you know, the more we can talk about things and, and get to, to a wider audience, you know, I, I don't just do Christian shows. I mean, I do yeah. uh, shows with uh, people who are clearly occultists. Um, mm -hmm. But what I try and do is I just, you know, do what I do in the book is, okay, that's what uh, it says in this source and here's how it relates to the Bible. And and well, all and, I'm trying to do is get to people who haven't considered reading the Bible, maybe to give it a look because there's a lot more in there than what you think. There really is. And I mean, I grew up until I read that Clarence Larkin book, The Spirit World yeah. at age 17. Yeah. I was so bored with the Bible because I grew up on Star Wars, thanks to my older brothers. Yep. So when I was like eight years old and I saw the book of Luke, I imagine my disappointment when it wasn't about Luke Skywalker. <laughs> You know, yeah. but then, yeah. you know, you read about the Nephilim, the disembodied yeah. spirits, uh, Lucifer walking amongst the fiery stones, yeah. Yeah. you know, all these things that were in that particular book that was 100 years ago that then gets expounded upon in this. There's no rival for this book out there, yeah. by the way. Yeah. There are a bunch of other books that are good, yeah. but yeah. there's nothing that 
comes close to competing with the Genesis six conspiracy. Yeah. I mean, even for people who are more agnostic or, uh, you know, maybe they're disillusioned with Christianity because of the church. If you buy this book and you just read the latter portions, you can skip them. Even if you skip the mythology portions about the fairy kingdom, you know, the giants, if all that's too much to digest, you can read the Freemason part and be like, yeah, I get it. This yeah. all, yeah, yeah. And then you read about the Templars and then you read why the Templars were what they were yeah. and where it just yeah, find something back. in the back of the book that resonates with you and just read the previous chapter and keep going and keep back. going back. That's the great yeah. thing about this book. I'm not going to say it's niche because that's not the right term. It's exhaustive and it's kind of the authority because of how much not just how much information there is. Yeah. But how everything is connected. It's a five course man. A meal together. Baby. So beautiful. It's perfect. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Well, Gary, thank you so much for joining us for the interview. And is there, where can people find this book and where can people find you? The best place to get a hold of me is through my website. That's the Genesis six conspiracy.com. That's Genesis six with the number six conspiracy.com. And if it doesn't come up, uh, on your Google search for some reason or on your search, maybe switch to Google and I'm not promoting Google. It's just that mm-hmm. some of the other search engines aren't bringing my website up for some reason. Um, but Google still is. And on that website, you'll get a generous excerpt of all 98 chapters uh, so that you'll get oh, wow. a good feel for the book. And uh, yeah. most people, once they, you know, they just go through the table of contents with the chapter names are going, Oh, geez, I think I better get this book, but uh, you'll get, and if you wanted to buy a book, you could uh, link over on that website to the buy now page uh, Mm -hmm. buy from author. And I I will do a signed copy for you. If you wanted a Kindle version, you can link over to the Kindle edition uh, on the website. You can also link over to barnesandnoble.com and to uh, amazon.com and uh, buy the book from them, or you can buy it from most online bookstores. Um, If you wanted to support your local bookstore, you can order it through your local bookstore. It's distributed by Bookmasters out of Pennsylvania, so it's readily available uh, for them to buy for you. And uh, that's the best way. And if you wanted to get a hold of me, there's a contact the author there um, and send me an email, ask me a question. I will get back to you. It might take me a week or so to get back to you. If you want a, a document, I'll get that back to you. If you just want to make some comments on something, um, I may or may not get back to you depending on those comments. It's <laughs> <laughs> very prudent of you, Gary. Hey, I'll blame you. Um, uh, you can, uh, do you, um, you, you can do get you have a me preference? on Facebook too. Uh, oh, you have a Wayne. Facebook page. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Under Gary okay. Wayne and, uh, also, I have a group, uh, the Genesis Six Conspiracy, uh, and also on Twitter at Gary Wayne Six Three at Gary Wayne Six Three. Brave man being on Twitter, man. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah, I don't I have the stones to get on Twitter. <laughs> I <can't. laughs> uh, I'll get I'll get shredded. That's yeah. too big for me. Um, <laughs> well, uh, Gary, this has been amazing. Uh, thank you. We would absolutely love to have you. You're a busy man. Uh, you got your second book that you're working on. If if you guys think that the Genesis Six conspiracy is exhaustive, again, he cut 350 pages out of this thing. And I mean, I know we both know what that's like. You yeah. know, I mean, yeah. I mine was like literally a fourth. Yeah. My first one was a fourth the size when it finally went to publication. So I get it. Um, but uh, but he is working on a second one. 
So you guys uh, got to get caught up. You got to find this book and yep. and uh, get on the Gary Wayne train, Absolutely. baby, because it's Wayne train. really cool. Um, yeah, and, dude. And, and I want people to know in no way do, do I think I'm a prophet. So don't, you don't have to worry about that. But people do get hold of me and say, I can't believe what you said and what is taking form place now. <laughs> so Yeah. Yeah. The, well, there is there's a difference between being a prophet and being uh, and being a researcher or I mean, historians know if you don't pay attention to the past, you're doomed to repeat it. And mm -hmm. I think the same is true for a researcher of any sort of history where, like, you can see the pattern. And yep. I mean, we're pattern seeking creatures. Yep. As as, you know, homo sapiens. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, it perfectly stands to reason that someone like you in your position with the amount of research that you've done. Yeah, yeah, you could probably see some things coming down the pike that, you know, because you've spent you've invested the 10,000, 100,000 hours it takes to, you know, to find this stuff out where the rest of us are just like, you know, we're babies, you know. <laughs> yeah, we're just in our crib. Yep. You know? Awesome. Well, Gary, thank you again for being on. We'll let you go. Get back to your evening and uh, can't wait to talk to you again and can't wait for that second book to come out. Congratulations on the success of Genesis yes. 6 Conspiracy 2, by Terrific. the way. Yeah. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Gary, it's been a real treat. Have a great Sunday, sir. Thank I will. You. you too. All right, guys, we'll leave it there. Thanks for listening. You can watch the full video episode on Rumble. Or you can listen to all of our full episodes on Spotify. Uh, if you'd like to catch us live, you can find us on YouTube every Sunday, 4.30 p.m. Central Standard Time. We'd love to take your comments on the live chat and field those to our guests. Uh, also, if you'd like to support the show, please leave us a good review. Give us five stars. Tell your friends about the show. That is the best way to help. Thanks, and we'll see you next time. Well, that's it for this episode, guys. We would love it if you tell your friends about the show. Maybe leave us a good review. And also consider becoming an honorary Gosling. An official exclusive membership to the Gosling gets you exclusive access to interviews and conversations that we can't have on YouTube. Plus, you'll get free digital downloads of some of our books and excerpts and writing. Uh, also, and check this out, you get to participate in a live monthly Discord chat with us. Uh, we do this once a month now. Um, all this plus more if you join our community on Patreon for just $5 a month. I mean, that's nothing. $5 a month, it's a cup of coffee. So go to patreon.com forward slash the goslings and sign up today. Thanks for listening. Now go forth and strike down the darkness. <laughs> <laughs>